Hello. This episode of Watch Out for Fireballs Dispatch is, of course, brought to you by our patrons. But I also want to do a quick uh, call for action today. Uh, a very good, clo- very good and very close friend of mine, Jamie, uh, was recently wrongfully fired from her job uh, for requesting accommodation for disability. And she is suing the fuckers, but uh, in the meantime, has no job. She's an excellent person. Um does not deserve this. Nobody deserves this, obviously. And if we did not live in this hellscape, uh, there would be a support system that wasn't just uh, doing a GoFundMe. However, uh, instead, there is a GoFundMe because we live in hell. Uh, So if you could give this a a glance, I'd really appreciate it. Um, If you go to GoFundMe.com slash F, as in Frank, slash support dash Jamie dash through dash A dash crisis. Uh, that would be awesome. And uh, if you're able to give, that'd be great. If you're not able to, I totally understand. Um, you could share it or retweet it, help uh, broadcast it. Uh, she's doing pretty good. Uh, she has a goal and she's doing well, but we could use a little bit more help just kind of pushing her over the line uh, to let her have money to live while this lawsuit uh, goes forward and she looks for another job. So appreciate you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you, patrons. And uh, thanks, Jamie. Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs Dispatch, the monthly QA topics listener response bro zone. Uh, yeah, I'm a little bit iffy on that last part, but I can go along yeah. with you just well, fine. You know, just a yeah. couple of bros. We are just a couple of bros present, but we speak. Yep. Uh, we, 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 we mostly speak for ourselves. Yeah, it's a bro zone. <laughs> yeah. Just a couple of bros broing out. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're going to be doing your Q's and A's. Gary already said all that stuff. Stick around toward the end. We're announcing the games we're covering in October, Spooktober, whatever we're calling it, horror month, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, AKA October. Oct. What? Is what we'll call that. But like, October, like, like Kathy when she gets scared. Uh, no, just Oct. Okay. Like the, the way it's spelled. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, it's already spooky. It, it is. I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sounds pretty spooky to me. Uh, enjoying the spookitudes. I'm excited. <laughs> me too. Uh, for all the stuff that we're doing. And then also just uh, uh, one, uh, I love just being around the spooky stuff. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, this fucking heat wave needs to die. I, I spent a bunch of time yesterday Googling like where to live now that everything is hot. Yeah. Um, just to figure out because I, I moved out here for mild temperatures. You did. You're sold yeah. to build goods. I sold a bill of goods. Uh, I'd really like to never be have a heat wave on me. Yeah, I mean, probably looking at somewhere in like North Ontario, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, eh? Yeah. Um, no. Oh. I, I'll get us started here with Andrew who has a comment, not a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the last unfilmable, ready or not, which is a great movie, uh, you were discussing whether a dumb waiter could hold a human's weight. 
I can confirm the answer is a definitive yes. <laughs> Back in high school, I worked in a retirement home restaurant. Yes, a restaurant that served exclusively old people. And there was a dumb waiter to the basement where we stored food and supplies. Of course, this led to fun surprise opportunities. About once a month, someone would send the dumb waiter upstairs with another person inside to jump out and surprise the person waiting upstairs. It was more of a fun surprise as someone popping out of a dumb waiter is just funny for everyone involved. So yes, it can hold quite a lot of weight. P.S. No, you cannot cut a person in half or anything. You need to close both safety doors for the dumb waiter to go up and down. Huh. Okay. Yeah. They, I, they have those like draw those draw lattice doors like on old tiny elevators, don't they? Yeah. yeah. You you could 100% still cut somebody in half, though. Like I mean, if you could rig a microwave to, to work while it's open. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you need to, get, need to get those Mythbusters on there or at least yeah. Jigsaw. Yeah. Get Jigsaw on there. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> oh thank you i know that's not from a waff thing but andrew wrote it in and uh i wanted to address story. it yeah it's a fun story yeah. um i wouldn't go popping around a lot of corners at a, an establishment that mostly served the elderly just no. uh yeah kind of, kind so, of seems somebody like, isn't seducing wealthy dowagers <laughs> <laughs> to, to get to some, their wills. some of us have to work for a living not all of us are preternaturally attractive to the octogenarians <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want this slab of relatively young Gary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Evan writes, this is a game question. Um, we're in the game question zones. Uh, saying, I've recently purchased a decent computer for university, uh, and it's given me access to a large amount of modding tools available for games. What are some of your favorite mods, and what are fun games to modify? Yeah. Uh, my all-time favorite mod, like two, there are two categories of mods that I love. Mm -hmm. Uh, one making restoring cut content and fixing old CRPGs. So, um, like the Baldur's Gate mod that gives you uh, a bag of holding when you start, or gives you lets you stack arrows mm -hmm. to nine hundred ninety-nine, uh, or takes the things that are kind of half-cut content, you know, things that are a little bit in there and restores them. Mm -hmm. Those are great. Uh, you know, very, very cool gaming is magic moment for me when I read about all of the Fallout 2 cut content in mm -hmm. the Fallout Bible and then was able to mod it back in <laughs> uh, and go to the EPA and all these like locations I just read the design documents for. Yeah. And then some superhero put it together. Um, the other uh, game that I think has just like phenomenal modding uh, tend to be roguelikes. Uh, Darkest Dungeon has awesome mods, really creative play space with character designs, class designs. And then Binding of Isaac has really, really awesome mods. So much so that like uh, Repentance, which is the latest expansion, which is incredibly impressive, like just a very generous expansion, is mostly based on a mod called Anti-Birth, mm -hmm. which was incredible when it came out. Just like really imaginative play space uh, nice. fuck aroundery. Yeah. Um, I, the mod that I have had the most fun with has been, um, the dark souls randomizer. You oh, know? that's a, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's kind of a, uh, that's a no brainer, uh, in terms of recommendation. Uh, yeah, that's what I would say. Uh, dark souls randomizer. There are obviously the big content mods go back in bonfire side chat to our kind of mod season that we did. Uh, a few of those that are good, a few of those that are still on their way. Uh, but yeah, randomizer, I think is the, uh, the best bang for your buck right now. Great mod. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, Greg says, 
Uh, do you spend any time playing mobile games? And if you do, do you have any favorites? I tend to stay away from most mobile games as they use the free-to-play model. However, there are a few games I really enjoy either because you can buy the full game, such as Arkanoid vs. Space Invaders or Civilization Revolution 2, or the base game is complete enough that you don't need to spend any money, such as Elder Scrolls Blades or Fallout Shelter. The answer is no. Um, I gotta be honest, I fell off of mobile gaming in a big bad way, uh, after the switch came out and was really good, you know, Mm -hmm. used to play a lot more, used to be a lot more interested in the space, but the fact that other more full featured stuff ended up becoming so portable combined with those, you know, shitty market conditions that Greg laid out, uh, just kind of make it so it's, it's difficult for me to say that I've done more than just kind of grazed at the Apple arcade, um, at the Apple arcade trough, which has like brought me up some like Kairosoft games, but that's the yeah. same game they've been making since 2010. It's exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The dragon quest of developers. Yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, I, similar, there are some game every once in a while, something will pop up. I will get an urge because games that tend to lend themselves to mobile spaces. I like a lot of the time, like I mm-hmm. like tower defense. Um, I like card games, things like that. Uh, so I will still browse, but it's been a while since I have, uh, really put some time yeah. into one, like serious time into one. Um, you know, out of those ones that Greg mentioned, like Arkanoid versus space invader is really good. Oh. I played through that when that came out. Uh, that's a great game. Yeah. Um, and there, there are several games that like I played to completion, you know, uh, or can still pick up and play. Like I really like, uh, I talked about this before. Smash hit mm-hmm. is, is a real favorite. It's all oh, tossing pinballs through pain, panes of glass. Yeah. Yeah. You've talked about that. <laughs> that. That's a great game. Like I think uh-huh. that's a really, really fun game. I recently played a game called night skate. That is an endless runner on a skateboard with really cool aesthetics. Oh yeah. You sent uh, me that. I've, I've had a little bit of fun poking at that. Yeah, there, there's like there's good stuff. Yeah, out there. Um, I avoid anything that is free to play. Uh, yeah, typically, I fell into after we did Plants vs Zombies. I fell into a Plants vs Zombies two hole for a you while did. and and played that. But typically, I think free to play and good design can't really exist together. And the the uh, you know apologia for it, like the well, it's not as bad as it could be. Shit <laughs> that you you see uh, really kind of irks yeah, me. But but it's not as good as it could be either. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Stop, stop bending over backwards to make excuses for Genshin Impact. Please. You know, I, I don't know. Like, it just, it, <laughs> yes, it, it could be worse, but demand better. Please. You know? Uh, yeah. let, let me actually uh, make uh, t- two earnest recommendations, like outside of ones we've talked about before. Scared like stupid that, that and goes to jail. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, obviously, you want goes to jail. Yeah, no, those would be the two of them. Goes to yeah. camp is also really good. Uh, that's kind of yeah, a. Let's uh, serious as the first one. <laughs> You know, it's it's like he has that "Sure, I'm glad it's raining" song where he's crying and stuff. He doesn't get lightning powers at all. <laughs> I rate every earnest, uh, ex- you know, expansion. Every earnest yeah. <laughs> sequel. Yeah, ECU. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> On E plus. Yeah. Uh, I, I rate all of them by how long it takes him to get superpowers. Uh, yeah. it's, it's an origin for it's an origin story. No, uh, but, uh, uh, a game that I really enjoy is called freeways, uh, where okay. you are, uh, uh, designing on hand, like your finger painting, uh, uh, freeway interchanges. So you have basically on the edge of the screen, all of these, in, in, uh, in, incoming like, you know, traffic sources and then the places that they're trying to get to. And you have to design like off ramps and stuff to maximize the flow. 
um, of mm-hmm. all of them. Uh, each little car has its own little, little AI, and it, it's all you know. You're designing smaller squares on a bigger grid, so as you're working, you're designing this much bigger freeway system, and it's really neat. Uh, and then for a developer recommendation, anything by um, by Zach uh, Zach Gage. Uh, oh sure. Been, yeah, yeah. Uh, just g- generally. Really hard to go uh, to, to, to fuck with that gauge. You get a uh, spell tower. You have ridiculous fishing. Uh, really bad chess is very fun. Um, mm-hmm. It is chess with non-standard, uh, non-standard amounts Your of random pieces. pieces. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, pocket run pool is very good. Flip flop solitaire, good Sudoku. Like he's been on this tear recently of just like, okay, here's this really standard game. You know, solitaire, Sudoku, pool. What can we do to actually make this a lot more intuitive and fun? You know, like, let's yeah. let's speed up the play of this. Uh, and has done a really good job, I think. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. Yeah, I would second that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Holland says, I have more than one friend that has signed up for Xbox Game Pass and has not purchased a single game in like a year because there is so much to play. Similarly, I recently upgraded my PlayStation Plus to the second tier for $25 and now have like eight games that have been on my backlog. So I don't see myself making any purchases anytime soon. My question is, how do you see these trends affecting the development, scale, and sales of video games in the future? It seems wholly unsustainable to me. Uh, for example, what happens when the developers of Stray, what happens to the developers of Stray uh, when their game is free to play on day one? Uh, but I also don't know everything that's going on in the background. I get a similar feeling, Holland. I don't know the specifics, and I think that that is actually part of the problem. And what yeah. we're... Go, good. Right, the, the specifics a lot of time are out there for this stuff. Uh, when this came, when this discourse reared up with Epic... Mm-hmm. Uh, putting out their games for free. And my understanding, and this is a half-remembered article I read, mm-hmm. so I'm not an expert on this at all, but is that it's pretty lucrative for developers. Like, they get a big guaranteed chunk of money, which is really rare in yeah. an indie game space. In So my understanding is, in terms of financially for developers, it is actually better than rolling the dice on, like, Steam. Right. That is what I have read. I don't know that that's true, but my understanding was that at the time there was a, because intuitively it sounds bad. Yeah. Uh, It sounds like race to the bottom mobile stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. again, but is that uh, counterintuitively it's actually pretty good. Yeah. uh, For people. I don't know. Again, I don't have the source for that though, because I didn't Mm -hmm. prep for this. Um, That is, that is my memory though. Yeah. The thing that worries me is recreating what we saw, what we're seeing with um, video streaming, you know, Mm -hmm. which is it can be very good. It can be very lucrative for a handful of developers at the beginning when they're flush with cash for this Mm -hmm. new initiative and what have you. Um, And by they, I mean uh, the the platform holders. Right. So Microsoft, Epic, etc. If that stops being sustainable and there is very little way to actually account for what is generating revenue. All you need is one asshole who comes in like that guy um, who took over the Warner HBO merger and says, uh, uh, reality TV is where it's at. We're going to prioritize Discover. And then, boom, all the cool stuff goes away. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, like, it yeah. can be it is, uh, uh, my bigger problem with this is more just sustainability in the long run. And how, how do they decide what ends up being uh, uh, kind of uh, funded and featured uh, and brought there? especially for new games. I'm not so much worried about it for old games. If it's a way for 
studios and developers to monetize stuff, you know, reliably. Bethesda uh, wasn't making released. money off of Redguard. No. You know, before this. Yeah. Like, so whatever they got in order to put that on Game Pass today is gravy. You yes. know, Heretic wasn't making tons of money. Right. You know, I, I don't I don't know about long term, but I, I do think that, like, in the short term, it's interesting. Uh, the thing, the thing that stands out to me in reading about indie game development is how fucking Thunderdome it is. There's that, like, heartbreaking thread from the developer of uh, Where the Water Tastes Like Wine, which yeah. is a game I don't like very much. Like I was very disappointed in that video game. Right. Uh, so I don't, I don't begrudge its lack of success as an artistic thing, mm-hmm. but the, the thread from the developer being like, Hey, here are the economic realities of putting out a game on steam and just laid out all of the effort and money they put into marketing it. And then the return on it and how poultry that was. And I, I can see the appeal, even if it, it doesn't last forever of just like, you know, with the, I mean, stray probably would have done fine, because mm-hmm. it's a game featuring a cat and that's people love that. But like a lot of these people, I'm happy they're getting a payday, you know, maybe in the future, the, the platforms will lose interest in them, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that I think you're probably right. But for now, I think it is a weird kind of unexpected good. Yeah. No, you know, that wouldn't happen otherwise. Like mm-hmm. it just, you know, discoverability is so shit. Uh, if we've gotten to the point where discoverability, the, key for it the solution is give people like you already have the thing (laughs) you don't have to discover it like you already have the new youtube album yeah uh then maybe that's that's where we're at right now yeah just every discoverability every month a big the 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 big mama bird just comes down from microsoft and and all the new games into you yeah and 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 that sounds very like bad but then i think about Like, I don't uh, want to spend tons of time looking up what games to play. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, discoverability is hard, yeah. you know, and I don't know the solution for it. And a lot of times I find uh, in the discourse around it, the, the solutions for it annoying because they, they tend to take a very sanctimonious tone um, about how people are not doing their jobs. Like, it is irresponsible for a website to cover a uh, Assassin's Creed game. Because right. everyone knows it, but they don't know about this itch.io game. And like, yes, mm. but also, I don't know, like that, that feels like wish casting, yeah. uh, like what the world could be. Mm-hmm. And even then you would need to have a thousand Kotakus to cover all of the, there's just so much stuff. Yeah, uh, It makes sense to aim for the thing most people would be interested in already. And they, it's just a very complicated problem, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that it has threads and lots of different stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I, I suppose I fall in with you. I'm happy that it exists as an alternative for developers, you know, to get in and have a, a bit of a secure deal. I just, uh, my concern is long-term, but that would be long, a long-term concern with the existing model on steam anyway, you know? Yeah. That, it's, that, it's like, a, it, I think it's going to come up kind of regardless. Yeah. You can't you act know? like that's not also putting weird pressures on developers and on the actual yeah. output that comes through. Yeah, it's it's a, a sickness with many, many, many symptoms and yeah. causes. You know, it it is just it's it's fucked up, and it and now the stray people uh, can probably you know maybe somebody there can buy a house. Yeah, they couldn't buy before. Maybe they can fund the next project. You know. Yeah, yeah, even better. Yeah. yeah. Um, James says, uh, "Hey boys, hope <laughs> I just put some spin on that." James, oh, you put did. That there. <laughs> uh, hope all is well with you. Quick question for Gary. 
What are your tips for getting into Magic the Gathering? I bought a couple of pre-made Challenger decks a few years ago, which have sat patiently in my games cupboard ever since. I've tried some YouTube videos for learning, but found them a little long-winded and obtuse. I'm sure the right answer is go to a gaming shop and get someone to teach you, but I'm interested to hear if you have any other advice. Uh, I do have other advice, and it's not go to the gaming shop and let people teach you, even though that might be good and people might be cool about it. I would also be intimidated by that. Mm -hmm. Uh, My advice is to, uh, and I don't know absolutely for certain that you can still buy them because Magic put out Arena, but from like 2012 to 2016, I want to say, Wizards of the Coast put out a new Magic the Gathering video game that was called like Magic 2012, Magic 2013, that are really good tutorials for Magic. And if you can't, purchase those legally anymore i recommend you pirate them if it's not you know available to purchase legally there's no moral crime Mm -hmm. uh and have those computer systems teach you to play the game yeah because they're really good uh at easing you in so Uh, that sounds like a good advice to me if i was looking to yeah i would want some uh, something a computer that would uh, keep track of the rules and stuff for me at least at the start it's also cool because it's a way to play magic against an ai Oh, yeah. uh, arena is cool and arena is you can get a lot of value out of arena without buying cards mm-hmm. uh from it um the uh but also you're playing against real people and that has an inherent to me has an inherent fraughtness when i'm learning yeah, yeah. uh it feels bad you know I, you I, be an I, idiot i don't want to waste somebody's time you know like yeah. there's, there's probably matchmaking at play based on quality of cards or your win record or whatever but like if i'm just figuring out like okay i'm gonna waste this person's time by being a bad by being a bad partner it'd be like showing up mm-hmm. to experts night at the tennis court you know with a with a racquetball racket <laughs> like s- several years ago i went to a uh, sealed deck magic tournament with uh riff and mm-hmm. Brayton. And I placed in it. And the reason I placed is because I accidentally ran out the clock on a guy because I didn't know enough of the current rules. Oh, no. And he was being very <laughs> helpful, like helping me through things. Yeah. But I just ended up like, you know, getting a, a decision victory against him because and it wasn't malicious. Right. You know, but I don't be me like you don't want to do that. That's discourteous. Yeah. Huh. Well, good on that. Good on that person for being a good sport. They're being gracious about it. Yeah. You know, so it was good. And uh, if you're out there and you're listening, I apologize. <laughs> um, Alicia writes, do you ever sit and read through a game's end credits? Not for games that have post-credit gameplay or a cutscene, especially, but just like get to the end, then sit there and read the names of the people who worked on the game as they scroll by. Are there reasons why you might or might not? Um, for example, an achievement to the end music, visuals, really liking the game, doing it out of respect for the de- uh, developers who made it, etc. Watching credits. Uh, I never do this. Uh, if I want to know a specific person, like if they're involved or if I want to see like a voice actor, mm-hmm. yes, but, uh, this is, I, I can't do this even though I, you know, these names have meanings. I respect the people who make the art that I like, mm-hmm. uh, knowing that like hearing a random name that I don't know is may as well be noise. Yeah. Uh, to me, like I, I will look up those associations if I want to make like a stronger mimetic connection. Yes. I'll do that later through text. Yeah. Moby Games uh, is an excellent way for it to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will, if I'm, if I'm finishing, a, if I finish a game and there's, you know, still like note taking stuff I want to do, or uh, honestly, if I'm just feeling kind of lazy and want to take a minute to sit there and, you know, 
figure out what I'm going to do next. I will just leave the credits running and listen to the music while I fuck around on my phone. Uh, but I do not make the conscientious decision uh, to sit down and read all of the names. If I know a game is crowdfunded, something I like doing is speeding through to that section and just seeing if anybody I recognize funded the game, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's about it. Yeah. I've gone and I've let credits play while I've gone and like made a sandwich or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I just, yeah, but I don't, <laughs> I don't watch them. And it's yeah. not a point of pride or anything, not principled stance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doug asks, uh, how much does the quality of a game's ending affect your view of the overall quality? If an Elden Ring uh, gives you scores of hours of fun, but stumbles on the last boss or cutscene, does that sour your enjoyment that preceded it? Uh, I feel like this is something we've we've talked about a little bit Uh before. And then this is also something that's very interesting because it comes up a lot in the Slack in discussion of Elden Ring and in Elden Ring stuff in general, because there are a lot of people who don't like the ending of of that game. Mm -hmm. Um. I generally think an ending can matter. Like you can have a sour taste yeah. in your mouth, uh, you know, after things, but typically the lasting sour taste is if like the ending underlines something that is a flaw throughout the entire game Yeah, for me, like the end of control felt a little bit bad to me because it really was just like, listen, this combat is shallow and repetitive mm-hmm. here. Tons of it. Like, don't you remember how shallow and repetitive this combat is? It's all we're going to do for the entire ending. Yeah. Uh, that just reminded me of the weakest part of the game. But but typically, it doesn't doesn't bug me or anything. It can matter for a narrative. Like, if something doesn't stick the landing, that feels bad in mm-hmm. any narrative uh, to yeah. me. You know? Yeah. Um, it's hard for me to say that, like, a bad ending cutscene or a bad, you know, narrative note at the end, you know, like, strictly related to the story. It's hard for me to say that spoils the entire deal. You know, I, mm-hmm. I just I've, I've generally said endings, you know, it's not the highest thing on my rubric. You know, it's not worth the most points. Uh, mm-hmm. The thing that sticks out most for me is, uh, you know, does the game uh, squander the goodwill that it built up, not with the actual like end of sequence, but like with the back third or the back quarter, the big slog of a run up. A lot of games don't have the steam to actually make it over that hump. It's very rare mm-hmm. that they actually do. Uh, and that will, you know, make me question more whether this was worth going through at all uh, than just a uh, a cutscene or a beat. I think that the the you know squandering goodwill is the bigger issue here. Yeah, a big uptick in friction, which yeah. is like a thing tons of games do because they sacrifice fun on the altar of challenge. Like yeah. we know we need to uptick the difficulty of the game. We don't have a lot of ideas for how to do it that won't make this fucking tedious. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, we'll move us on to uh, media questions. Sure. Uh, here, Bo says, "What are some of your favorite, obviously Canadian or Quebecois, uh, pieces of art, specifically art objects which could never be mistaken for American or European?" I'm from Montreal, a city which is home to many game devs, and despite our country being disproportionate producers of media given our size, I rarely get to experience what Canada or Quebec uh, broadly are seen as by our neighbors south of the border. If you'll allow me the sin of recommendations, the 20th century is an insanely Canadian uh, insanely Canadian in a way no other movie I've ever seen is. And Lydia Kapinski is a wonderful local indie uh, Quebecois artist who released a uh, second record earlier this year. Merci. Thanks, Bo. Yeah, thanks, Bo. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a good answer for this. Um, I wish I did. There are tons of Canadian media that I love, but it doesn't mm-hmm. feel specifically Canadian. Yeah. To me. Uh, most of my favorite bands are Canadian. 
like yeah, depending on which days you know that's a big like, deal <laughs> yeah but but they don't you know they don't feel culturally canadian to me yeah uh, c- c- no. kind of the same you know two bands that i really enjoy uh sunset rubdown obviously mm-hmm. and associated acts you introduced me to them they are quebecois i believe um godspeedy black emperor is a band that i very much enjoy uh extremely quebecois uh, but also it's hard to tell that by listening to them, you know? Yeah. So I like, I couldn't, I couldn't say I like this for X, Y, and Z reasons and X, Y, and Z map onto where they're from. Uh, so that is, that is difficult to say. And Canadian media in general, like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I said this to a Canadian person once and it's like, Oh, we're from Canada. And I say, Oh, I'd, I'd like trailer park boys or like, I like letter Kenny. Like, Oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, not. I, I could. It'd be like uh, it's probably how some Portlanders feel about Portlandia. Yeah, yeah. you know, as a, as a thing, like I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I uh, I think I think subset uh, sunset rubdown. There are people from all over, but I think that they're from Montreal. Yes, uh, is where Spencer Krug is from, as opposed to but the um, specifically well, Mon- Montreal yeah. and Qu- Quebec. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or more more specific. I just didn't want anyone. To oh yes, get yeah. confused and. Um, Obviously, like that group, that constellation of bands, the new pornographers, uh, who I mm-hmm. believe are from Vancouver, big fans, and then Kids in the Hall, uh, hugely okay. influential and, and huge to me. But again, I don't know what Canadians think of it. And Kids right. in the Hall, I think, is pretty uniquely Canadian in terms of sensibility, but I don't know. And I don't even know if I just said an incredibly offensive thing. So I, I don't know. <laughs> I, we, we don't know I just, Canada. It's, I, yeah. It's one of those things where it is. It does throw me off to watch the original Kings of or King, Kings of the Hall, Kids in the Hall, Kings um, of the Hall, <laughs> uh, to, to 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 watch like the episodes as they aired in Canada, specifically because what we got here on Comedy Central was so cut up. They took out so yeah. many things that were so racy, like just a ton of Scott Hall content was cut out because they're like, "There's no way this is going to play in America." So. Yep. Yeah, uh, so I associate that with being Canadian just because they are less, you know, at least from from our point of view, less prudish about the kind of comedy that can go on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, Canada rocks. Uh, yes. I love so much stuff from from Canada. Agreed. Uh, bands, TV, YouTubers, Canada's mm-hmm. great. Oh man, let's not sing an anthem to war. Let's <laughs> yeah, let's uh, anthem to peace. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Maya writes, I'm on a kick of reading horror fiction, and it had me thinking of horror applications dependent on medium. It's interesting how things like uh, the jump scare cannot be utilized in the written medium as effectively as on the screen. What do you think about the different ways horror can articulate in the written word uh, and which are most effective for Um, y'all? Let's see. Uh, Jump scares hard to do in horror. Like, that's not how that works. However, in text. Well, yes. It, Jump yes. scare is extremely easy to do in horror. Yeah, in sorry. In fact, it's probably the only genre that has them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't know, in Shallow Hell, I got scared the shit out of me. <laughs> um, okay, sorry. I'm all, I'm on a bunch yeah. of muscle relaxers. So <laughs> yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna take the, me- the, the medication uh, excuse on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Yeah. Jump scares, you know, you know, specific to visual medium. Uh, however, uh, manga does jump scares quite a bit. Uh, they do that very well. That is kind of Junji Ito's trick. I I love it when that happens, but I have a very different experience without the sound yes. element. Like if I turn a page to a reveal in a Junji Ito comic uh, and see some fucked up shit, which is a big reason why I'm there. I love mm-hmm. it. I don't get a jolt 
Yeah. Um, I, I don't feel fear from reading things. Yeah. Uh, I never have. Um, mm-hmm. I love reading horror stuff. Like I love horror comics, manga. I love horror short stories. None of it ever scares me. Yeah. Uh, I need to have a uh, sound, I think, mm-hmm. is the thing that bypasses my my filters. Yeah. You know? I, I'm I'm pretty much right there with you. Uh, I love, love love horror quite a bit. I think that it just operates on such a different level. Like the 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 trick for horror pros, in my opinion, like you're not going to get anything really good out of an omniscient narrator in it. I think that it needs mm. to be you know from a particular point of view, and the the reader needs to be putting stuff together alongside the character. Um, mm. you know, so that like there can be a re- you know a reveal, you know, like uh, he was taking a, the Jack Candy thing. He was taking a bite out of the sweetest nectarine, and the juices ran down his chin. But then he realized it wasn't a nectarine; it was a human head. You know, yes. not yeah. scary, but like something that gets in there and subverts expectations. I think that's the that's the way that horror works best. In addition to just cool ideas, you know, like oh yeah, this is a this is a killer idea for a monster or for that particular you know yeah. kind of thing to happen in this particular scene, you know, a concept or a fucked up place. Yes, you know, which, which is even in media that is more visceral mm-hmm. to me, that's a lot of what I'm getting from it. Same, uh, you know, mediocre horror to me will be saved based on cool concepts. Yes. You know, I want to see fucked up little dudes running around being <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. And, and you know, I love elevated horror. I love it when there's more to think about than that. But also, mm-hmm. you know, something kind of shitty will still be good if there's a fucked up dude about. It. And I'm like, man, that's a fucked up dude. Yeah. A bronze you know, the boy. On, yeah. yeah. Look at that boy. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> oh, the boy you got there. That boy is right. <laughs> like, I, uh, th- that will, you know, I'm a simple enough carb yeah. that uh, that ends up being a big part of my appreciation. Mm-hmm. transcends text yes uh jared says hey guys uh what do you think about imagination when it relates to games and media at large i work in a school and see kids doing the classic who's better but instead of powers or skills they're talking about back blings and emotes time is monopolized by things that seem uh meant to only occupy the brain as long as you're looking at it then it goes away not trying to say things were better back in my day. Things constantly change, and your uh, discussion on Bonfire Side Chat about this about challenging media gave me a genuine hopefulness about this. Just curious about your all's thoughts. For that last one, I think Jared is specifically referring to the interview episode with Open Mike Eagle. Um, if you're listening to this and you have access to Bonfire Side Chat but don't listen to it, that interview is worth listening to, specifically because we do range outside of Elden Ring from soft stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, but would point people in that in that direction. Uh, it's toward the beginning of the episode. Uh, it's about a half hour. I would say that is worth listening to because that man is smart. Yeah, yeah um, Mike's great. Uh, what what do you think back bling is, Gary? Oh boy, um, like I didn't know. Of, I, had to, uh, I had to look it up. <laughs> bedazzled butt plug. What <laughs> is that? What back bling is? Yeah, yeah, it's the it's the one that has like the jewel. You know, just kind of yeah, the standard. I've seen such a thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I've I've heard tell. Um, yeah. No, backbling is specifically uh, it's a it's a piece of equipment from Fortnite. Oh, um, yeah. Shit. So because it's, it's a third person game, and you're looking at the um, you're looking at their back, like the backbling is the customizable cosmetic item that you will see. I don't know about I comparing see. them. You know? Ooh, yeah. Well, like, I, I guess like that, that's what the emotes are being. <laughs> like, what wins? <laughs> I guess just what's what which one's cooler? Yeah. Uh, and I guess the emotes are also probably Fortnite emotes in that section so i think what jared you know talking about is like 
you know, as opposed to being like Hulk or Superman in a general sense, being like backpack or little baby angel bat wings, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that's more shallow. I, but it does, it's just very alien to me. Like I feel like there's something there that I can't see. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't know how I would compare such a thing. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know a rubric for that. Like, yeah, it makes me feel like I'm like unfrozen caveman Gary bullshit. Like, I got I got no idea. This this has made me blue screen. I, I got nothing. I got nothing. Nothing. <laughs> like, go. uh, This seems strange to me, especially with, especially with Fortnite being such a uh, uh, licensed property machine. Like mm-hmm. you, you know, all those videos that have been posted once they added Dragon Ball Z stuff in, and you just have Goku flying along and then whipping out an AK and gutting somebody down and then hitting him with a lightsaber. Like it seems like it's perfectly handmade for playing out a lot of the same kind of like conversations or make believe that I would have as a friend that that I would have with friends back in the day, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm talking like little kid, like seven, seven, eight, yeah, yeah. nine, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. So like role of imagination and stuff, it's very hard to see. It's hard to say because I don't want to be in a position to say the thing that the kids are getting enjoyment out of is, uh, you know, because they're getting a different kind of enjoyment than I did that is therefore uh, inferior. I would counter and say that at least my understanding of this, I, this could be outdated uh, and I may just have old brain, but like for every one of those discussions about, uh, you know, Fortnite emotes and stuff like that, like kids still love to play Minecraft, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. There's, some, there's something still there that like, that's, that's the same. Yeah. You know, 100% that is like creative and cool. Uh, the same way that, you know, when other kids, you know, kids our age had Legos and yeah, yeah. you know, techniques. Yeah. You know? I got no problem if people, you know, kids imaginative, imaginative play, uh, you know, is filtered through these different kinds of things because, you know, shit, we didn't have play karate, but we played power Rangers when I was a kid, you know, we didn't play, yeah cops and robbers it was you know we, we were different robots from Mega Man. you know there's also an element too of like litigating what's cool is always uh or oftentimes the subtext of a lot of these discussions anyway yeah like you can dress it up in like you know people would be like who's faster the flash or superman and that question is meaningless Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it could not have less impact. <laughs> yeah. What does this do for the greater good? You know, I said it was interesting, but, <laughs> but it's really, it's a, a, a roundabout. I think at the heart of that is like, which one do you think is cooler? Yeah. You know, it, it, it comes down to like teamsmanship and fighting your Pokemons and such. And there's not to me that big a difference in that core element between fighting Fortnite backpacks. I know why backpack is the only thing I can think of for back bling. Maybe it's because something people wear on their back. And yeah. there aren't a lot of other things, uh-huh. uh, but you know, backpack fight in, in <laughs> Fortnite, you know, is also about which one looks coolest. It's aesthetics mm-hmm. and, and instinct and, and stuff like that. Cultural association and teammanship, like all that stuff I think is still at play. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just, just a little deeper and a little bit harder to relate to. Yeah. No. I just want to focus on kids not paying attention to me because if they start coming after me, I'm not going to be able to get away. One common core. <laughs> what the fuck dude <laughs> like, that, that must be stopped I, just yeah. just just do math the way i did yeah Ugh. why how could somebody get learn a skill a different way 
How dare. Oh, how dare they? Uh, let's see. Moving on to show questions. Uh, this friggin' mm-hmm. guy asked a question. This will be pretty quick because we have answered this pretty uh, frequently. But uh, yep. says, hello. Um, maybe this is a crazy thing, uh, thing to suggest, uh, but have you ever considered revisiting games that you've already discussed for the show? I'm asking because titles like Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines and Disco Elysium are regular touchstones and conversations and themselves very good episodes and wondering if you think it would add value or maybe just be fun to revisit and talk about some of your um, all-time Hall of Famers. Uh, yeah, we, we talked about this. This is a possibility someday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we talk, uh, bloodlines is my number one because it's back when we thought the show should be like an hour and 15, Yeah, you know, uh, and that game is longer and deserves more attention mm-hmm. than, uh, than that. Um, disco is a little bit harder. Cause I feel like we basically got it out. Yeah. The you only know? thing that complicates that is the director's cut stuff, but yeah, it would be fun. Mm-hmm. Like I would love to, an excuse to play disco Elysium again, play the director's cut for work yeah you know and and have content on it i would really like that and i think it would make mm-hmm. a good episode it's just a different uh like the show aims for different stuff i think yeah than that uh so you know long answer you know yes with an f short answer no with a butt <laughs> you know <laughs> yep oh. Uh, Trevor says, uh, you've mentioned MMOs in the past and how they don't particularly fit in with the WAF format. For what's worth, I do agree with you. To be honest, I think you'd almost have to dedicate an entire show to properly cover any modern MMO. If you're given the time and money uh, to give it the kind of coverage you'd be satisfied with, what MMO would you consider dedicating an entire show to? I Literally the only one that I don't have any interest in an MMOs. Enough people have told me Final Fantasy 14 is good that I'm curious. Mm-hmm. But then other people have been like, yeah, it's like 70 hours before it gets good. Yeah. Like you have to get to the third expand. And I'm like, that sucks. Even if it wasn't for the show, yeah. I think that is philosophically vile uh, mm-hmm. and a bad design decision. Yeah. Uh, I think that indicates something that is low quality uh, to me. So mm-hmm. it, yes, I believe it gets good. Uh, but yeah, I don't I don't believe that you should pay a price in bad to get to the good in games. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I guess it would be that one just because nothing else is really sounds cool. But I also do, wouldn't want to do that. Whatever horrible <laughs> Wishmaster is like presenting <laughs> us with this. Yeah. Like, Trevor. Uh, <laughs> I would want to I'd want to escape or say their name three times and put them back in the model in the attic or whatever. <laughs> it's um yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think about this from like, is there one that I would even enjoy doing? Probably, probably not. I think I'm a little bit more amenable to uh, MMO stuff than you are. Uh, but uh, at least I have a more more history with it. But like, I think about the the show that I would make about an established MMO like that, and then I think, oh, there's nothing that I would have to say that is better or more more insightful than the other shows that exist about it, right? You know, yeah. like, oh, that's a niche that is filled in by so many other people uh, who are way more invested, um, a lot less like cranky about appointment, uh, social appointment play that is required yeah. or stuff like that. Like, I think about organizing a raid and I immediately Dude. want to just like close all the curtains, <laughs> turn off my phone, hide under the covers yeah. and wait for day, day daylight. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I, I mean, this is the problem for tomorrow. <laughs> I got I to organize a raid. I, there'd be so much catching up with just the basic vocabulary. Yeah. Even if you and I started, like, let's say they announced a new MMO, you know, uh, tomorrow. And 
you and I are like, okay, we're covering this from the ground floor. There's so much vocabulary with the genre that we don't have, even you, like with mm-hmm. your EverQuest days, like <laughs> 20 know, years ago. Surely there have, yeah, surely <laughs> there have been advancements in the form. <laughs> like yeah. we just would be missing so much. It would be, it feels like a, like an MMO show is a time and place that we have missed. You know, we, we got yeah. into this right when like doing a retro show was still viable mm-hmm. and good. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, kind of change with the times. But there are there are times and places for like starting these kind of concerns. And I feel like that time and place is basically passed if it's yeah. not already your Ballywick. The, the you thing, the, the show that I think would be interesting would be like all of the old um, just kind of discredited or tossed aside MMOs, like find people who are really active in the community back then and talk to them about the game and just have them, you know, describe it from like a historical perspective. Like, you know, here's this here's this event that happened or like here was Brawley the Ark. Like, I don't know. I would like to hear somebody talk about auto assault. Like, that was a weird game. I, <laughs> I, I bet you such a thing exists on YouTube. I'm positive such a thing exists on YouTube. Yeah. And you would, if we were doing it, like it would have to be, there'd be so much curation. Like an interesting thing about when uh, projects on YouTube and and podcasts get considered is that like podcast is a quick turnaround medium, at least, you know, for us. Yes. Uh, Something like that. You'd want to avoid Chris Farley show stuff. Like Mm -hmm. you wouldn't just get a random guest who played Ragnarok online because you wouldn't want to accidentally back your way into somebody who's just like, Oh man, it was so cool. And (laughs) and, you know, with no additional elaboration on that, you you would need to curate it. So you had people who were thinking about the game. Like you'd need to find people who had the context you were missing Mm -hmm. uh, to do that, which would be really difficult. And I imagine if there is a YouTube and I'm sure there is that just does dead MMO worlds. I know there are like documentaries and long form journalism features. They mm-hmm. come out with, you know, they take months of prep, not yeah. a week. No, like um, down the rabbit hole they're doing or have just released uh, like a five hour piece about Eve online, you know, mm-hmm. like I'll watch that. <laughs> that sounds cool. Uh, yeah. Sounds more fun than reading uh, than actually playing Eve online did. But yeah, I'm talking about, yeah, I, I'm, I'm positive that kind of thing exists, and it'd be so hard to research because, like, a lot of the stuff is just, it's just gone. You know, yeah. like, oh yeah, Vanguard Saga of Heroes. You know, okay, that was made by the people who made the original EverQuest. They wanted to like get back to get back to basics. It only ran like it only had active support for about like three years, uh, mm-hmm. and, clo- and closed down after seven. Yeah, you yeah. know, uh, we can talk about those that weird shit going back, but. It, it it's very interesting to us, but it's, I'm going to let somebody else know that. Stuff. Yeah. I'm not going to do the work for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, John writes, what does utopian success look like for us podcasters? Do you want a large network such as what Bill Simmons did with the ringer? Something smaller. Uh, keep up the good work. Uh, ah, man, I do. It's a, it's a network of sports podcasts and shows um, that is uh, headed up by Bill Simmons, kind of a, a cranky sports commentator guy. Uh, think okay. like a I combat know. basketball. Yeah. On a combat basketball to mutant league scale, how cranky is he? The, uh, <laughs> um th- uh, think like um uh oh gosh like gimlet but for sports right okay uh, or, or crooked yeah. but for sports the, the, right? the dwarf you know yeah that's something like <laughs> I, that i'm, I'm sorry <laughs> that's fine uh man that sounds like a very unenviable thing i don't want to be in charge of all those people that and also like investing that kind of money in, in bigger bigger stuff i'm really happy with the scale that we're at honestly kind of <laughs> It's real good for us right now. Yeah. 
the idea when you scale up like that is you hire people to do those things. Like it wouldn't just fall on our shoulders. You know, I also have the dread of the amount of work it would take, but like, it wouldn't be like waking up one day and you're Bill Simmons, the ringer manager, and you just have to do everything yourself. Like you would have people hired and that, that Mm -hmm. has some appeal primarily. And this is going to, this, this is not uh, virtue signaling. Uh, Mm -hmm. Some douchebag is going to say, this is what this is. Uh, Something I really like uh, that I was thinking about recently, I had cause to Mm -hmm. think about is how, uh, and I don't. I'm not going to bat for this man, but how Kevin Smith handled his success, which was, I'm going to make all of my close friends and people who I love secure financially. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like everybody who is my friend gets to be in my movies and I'm going to give them TV shows and podcasts onto my network and they're going to be able to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would love that. Yeah. Like being at that level where I could take, you know, my friends and people who I care about and, like I would love to be able, to, and I'm not saying they want this. This is this. Mm-hmm. I don't want this to sound neutralizing. <laughs> right. But like being able to say, like, you know, yeah, you know, Will, you're guppy full time. Mm-hmm. You're guppy. That's your that's your thing. You handle it. I'm gonna. I'm, I'll be on it. But this is your whole thing. Yeah. Uh, ludicrous because that product does not appeal. that level it's really good i love that show but it's Uh not uh i think it's very funny and the you know but it's not it's not that kind of thing but i would love to be able to you know in terms of my growth that is what i would want to be able to do i'm fine i don't need any more money or success i'm good Mm -hmm. i want to be able to lift people up uh, who i care about less less somebody think i'm being uh trying to be mother Teresa. i'm not talking about you know Empower, I'm not teaching kids to code. I want right. to lift up people who I know and already love. Yes. Uh, you know, so that that is that would be my utopian vision. Yeah, that's a good answer. You know, it's one of those things like when you when you look at anything about starting up a business, right? Or look at anything about like, okay, you're gonna make your own thing and you're gonna go your own way. Uh, first of all, that is a ludicrous space to try and do any research in. We recently yeah. incorporated as an LLC and I've been just seeking out anything I can about like small business administration kind of stuff, right? Uh, mm-hmm. it, it is, it is all, if you are not careful, you're going to get a bunch of like hus- hustle grind set kind of shit. And that's the fucking worst. Um, but the big distinction is between like a lifestyle business and like a business business. It's like, Oh, you just want to start a business that you run, uh, and make things and make just enough to like live comfortably and feel secure. Well, that is obviously mm-hmm. beneath contempt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, you should you should I, be pumping this up enough to sell it. Yeah, you know, and, you, you should be pumping this chicken full of steroids so it gets a bigger yield. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I, I don't I don't have any interest in that. I just want to not go to yeah. an office. That would be great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so someday I would not mind buying a house. No. Uh, I don't need to own two. I don't need to own a boat. Right. I don't need anything like that. Uh, that's all you know nonsense extravagance I don't want. Yeah. Um. And even then, I just want to not get rid of stuff when I have to move. Yeah. If I could just rent this place forever, I'd probably also be okay. Yep. I just hate having to get rid of half my shit every mm-hmm. two years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's a, I, I, you know, it's, I have extremely modest tastes. Yes. But I do really like the idea of giving back to people. Like, I, you know, I'm lucky enough that, like, I know lots of remarkable people mm-hmm. who I think are, are genuinely really good and, Uh, I recognize that like my success, like I think that we're good at this, but I also think it would be stupid to not chalk up a lot of this to luck Mm -hmm. and like fortune is to be shared. 
Yeah. You know, I, I, I can't take it with me. I can't make kids. Uh, you know, why wouldn't I want to spread that out? Yeah. You know, what else am I here for? You know, exactly. what, what other purpose could I have in life mm-hmm. other than that? You know? So well, I, yeah, I just, uh, you know, so, yeah. uh, Gary B not Gary V. Uh, <laughs> that is the, that's the slogan. Uh, mindset, not grindset. Very good. Uh, lightning round questions. Let's do, uh, Gotham, uh, pronounced Gotham. Uh, I don't know if it would have the H there as well, or if it's supposed to be pronounced like, Oh, they, they, so, they, uh, they, they, they gave us a pronunciation at the end of that. Okay. P.S. My name is, um, Gotham. So, uh, Gotham says apologies, Gotham. Uh, I was listening to the final fantasy, uh, seven episode from back in 2013 where Cole said, when we cover final fantasy 12 in 2022, my two questions was this month's scheduling intentionally based on this, uh, two, when will Cole use his Oracle powers for evil? <laughs> um no uh we had a couple of people point that out to us which is very funny uh if uh, you're giving us far too much credit uh for if you think that that is intentional yeah uh somebody also sponsored nat sponsored yes. that episode that would yeah. take coordination and us knowing Nat uh, <laughs> nine years before we knew nat yeah. or knew of nat you know right uh so yeah this is uh maybe nat that'd be a good mm-hmm. question for nat maybe maybe nat did that yeah maybe but we didn't we did not uh, Tyler writes, inspired by an, epi- by an episode of the Insert Credit podcast, what is the in rainbows of video games? I I, uh, I, I recuse. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a Radiohead album. I know it was the like one of the first like pay what you want kind of deals. I listened to a couple tracks and I was like, eh, this is kind of boring and put it down. So yeah, take, take that as you will. Be, be mad at me if you want. I think Radiohead is uh, one of those bands that's like generally like they seem good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're on the forces of good. I find them personally not to my taste, and I think that they're pretty overrated. Yeah, uh, yell at me if you like. Uh, yeah. I understand. There, hey, there are lots of like darling bands. I feel that way about Yola Tango, much to the consternation mm-hmm. of my bandmates. Yeah. Uh, just bands I don't like that much. I've never remembered a Ted Leo song after I've heard it. <laughs> I don't know how people do it. it, yeah. it they feel like memory challenges uh, to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I cannot cannot answer. Sadly, can't answer. Uh, Luna says, go to hot sauces. Any recommendation for somebody who prioritizes taste over pure spiciness? I am so yes. basic at this. I am so basic. Are you? Yeah. Okay. You, you bring the basic and then I will give the advanced class on hot. This, that's not true at all. <laughs> the, uh, I'm going I'm to name two ex- things that are going to be extremely fucking intermediate level. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, I'm not shopping from the, uh, for, for, from the, uh, adults, the adult themed hot sauces. I'm not doing stunt sauces. Uh, sure. I'm, I'm pretty much getting whatever Asshole is. Ripper. Yeah. Scott Dilbert's father finger up the ass. Like, <laughs> brand hot, hot juice. Yeah. No, I'm not, uh, not doing anything like that. Uh, just, this is, this is fucking gobsmacking is what I'm going to say. Uh, I generally, I, I keep Tapatio around. I keep Sriracha around and I use, uh, I, 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 when I can, I use Thai chili sauce instead of, uh, instead of ketchup. I think you're going to say like, you mix up some black pepper and water. I just, I, I, I like, you know, some tapatio is just the right amount of, uh, and acid versus like a little bit of heat to make, to, mm-hmm. to make stuff pop. Uh, sriracha is good if you need, if you need, uh, uh, something that's a little bit spicier, uh, that'll cling to something. And uh, for for dipping, it's really hard to go wrong with Thai chili. So, yeah, those are those are all good. I love tapatio in terms of like basic Mexican hot sauce. That's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that, like on an egg or something mm-hmm. like that, I'm, I'm real into a tapatio. Yeah. Um, I really like uh, 
gochujang, uh, which is a, I think a Korean, uh, mm-hmm. sweet hot sauce. I put that on basically everything. I really love uh, something called tiger sauce, okay. which I haven't been able to get for a while, but is barely hot. It's mostly just like tangy and, uh, you know, kind of spicy, but not hot. Yeah. You know, taste, yeah. taste spice. That stuff is, is, uh, very good. That, that, that's and the, then, yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, and then there's a, a Portland, uh, one with name is escaping me right now. It's a habanero, uh, tr- like it's very chunky. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who live here will go crazy. You can get it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen it on YouTube and everything like that. If I want something very, su- very hot, but still yeah. has good flavor, that is what I will do. Yeah. Um, yeah, if I I only ever run into these, I need to just, to just buy a bottle of it to keep around and experiment with stuff. But like, if I'm at a restaurant and they have like a uh, like a green hot sauce, like a tomatillo uh, sauce, mm-hmm. I really like that mixture of um, uh, like tangy and smoky uh, kind of. Yeah, deal. that's good. Yeah. Oh. Um, I was trying to search for this uh, this hot sauce here, but there's a big Portland hot sauce festival. Oh, yeah. uh, that is polluting my my Google results. Hmm. I to me, it is reasonable to have like ten hot sauces. Yeah, you know, in in your cabinet, like they they taste different, and they're it generally will add a lot. In different applications. Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, hot hot sauce is great. Yeah. Um, Decker oh. writes. I have to imagine that this has been answered in the past, but what is the origin of the name Duckfeed? Uh, that was from a, the first episode of those damn Ross kids show that I did with my brother, uh, way back, uh, just making up folksy country sayings. Say, uh, I even, even dropping the G's off of things. And, uh, instead of saying like, oh, I'm just throwing stuff out there. I'm just, you know, throwing spaghetti at the wall saying, oh, I'm just feeding ducks here. I'm throwing stuff out and seeing what they pick up. Uh, also I like birds. So oh. duck, duck was, you know, and also RSS feed podcast feed kind of deal seemed to make sense at the time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I just have to live in it. I just, I'm just joking. I, I had no problems with the name. Yeah. Uh, it's Secret Aardvark was what I was looking for before. Oh, is that uh, So that if you've the... already commented, delete. Uh, <laughs> the, yeah, if you already added me, undo it. Yep. Secret Aardvark. Um, what's Craig's? Craig says? Uh, Craig says, uh, do you guys have any lesser known first person shooters you can recommend? Singularity. Yeah. Singularity is very good. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, we did that for the show. That was very fun. Uh, I also want to throw out my perennial recommendation for this, which is Project Snowblind. Oh, yeah. uh, began as Deus Ex Three, uh, changed the story. There's you know very little uh, in terms of kind of twist of the story or anything. You're just a cool merc, but mm-hmm. it is a real fun like shooter with powers. Yeah. Game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'd say those. Uh, singularity caught me off guard. Uh, it's hard to get a hold of legally for not thirty dollars, which is weird. It just never goes mm-hmm. on sale. Uh, but keep an eye out. Wish list it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's fun. Uh, Jonathan writes, and this is related to the last dispatch. Uh, do you have any stories of losing uh, save games? Uh, mashing, uh, mashing to save into memory card one, slot one. Maybe overwrite Chrono Cross and Final Fantasy X with my friends' save files. Oof, oof. Uh, I don't particularly. Uh, just because I did not end up sharing memory cards very often. Oh yeah. Like memory cards did not travel because I didn't play a lot of co-op games every right. once in a while. Like I would go over to Derek's or whatever and bring my save or vice versa, but it's pretty rare. Mm-hmm. So I generally have that stuff on lock, which I know is like a non-answer, but is my, my truth. Yeah. Um, outside of the super Nintendo battery backup save, you know, like, Oh, you, you looked at the system wrong. So it decided to, 
short and get rid of all of your Legend of Zelda saves. Outside of those, the only thing I have related to this is Chris, again, my brother, uh, when I was little, he knew that the greatest, uh, the easiest way to make me cry and extremely distressed if he needed my attention was to threaten to delete my save games. I would just be sitting there playing Pokemon and he would grab the Game Boy out of my hand and say, I'm going to pull this cartridge out and it's going to get rid of your saves. (laughs) And I don't even know what he wanted. Yeah, what? what (laughs) When you say he would need your attention, did, he couldn't just say, hey, Cole, it, like had that failed? Had he tried every other option? You, you know, point? I only remember the I only remember him intentionally trying to traumatize me. So forgive me if yeah. I don't know the entire uh, chain of events. Well, jokes on him, then, because he, <laughs> he didn't get what he wanted. Like, if you only remember the trauma and not his point, the yeah. medium was the message, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's failed to, to stick anything in your memory other than being traumatized yeah so yeah, bummer mm-hmm. uh, but it was a good bit of leverage <laughs> yeah it, it worked and it, i'm sure it would work now if anyone's <laughs> listening um tom says uh which dishonored power would be most useful in day-to-day life uh comedy answer is double jump so i can clear six inches <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the, the i'd love to be able to jump six inches someday yeah. Uh, and I think two two regular Gary jumps would do it. <laughs> you know? Cool. Um yeah, I, I mean blink. I'd blink. I, I would uh, I would blink. I've wanted to blink ever since I learned about the X-Men Nightcrawler. Yep. It's just incredibly cool and very useful. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, time stop and uh you know turning invisible, obviously very useful mm-hmm. uh for robberies and and doing things, but so would blink, and blink would also be more fun. Yes. You know, like, it's not like I couldn't assassinate despots with Blink. Uh-huh. You know, Time Stop would make it easier, but uh-huh. Blink would also allow to do it, and then I could do a quick escape, and it'd be awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to look at any of them and not think of crimes opportunities that they would present. You crimes know? are number one for useful. Yeah. Like, when I hear Cri- use, I hear crime. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and there's so many of them that are about summoning rats. Like, it'd be cool to have a little rat army, but, like, to what end? <laughs> you know Eating their enemies okay uh, from the bone alive okay yeah, you yeah. know these rats don't fuck around these aren't you mm-hmm. know fancy rats blink would just be the most fun i think i think blink would be really fun what if you could get an upgrade to your power of summoning rats in dishonored where instead of summoning a swarm of rats you summoned one ornery capybara <laughs> like all of that rodent mass just went into one greater capybara i can't imagine an ornery capybara i know they're so good yeah. Did you know that they, uh, they, they, you know, the, I'm gonna take a little shine off the apple because it's it's one of my favorite animals, but they have to eat their own shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think second harvest. Sad. Yeah, they do. They have to do a second harvest, and that it's like, man, I would like to get a kiss from a capybara, but not now. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> I, I wasn't yeah. looking for kisses. I was more looking for like you know scratching them on the head, maybe. Yeah. Well, that, that's obvious. I do that to every <laughs> animal. Right. I, I I just wanted to get all up in there because they're real sweet little lumps. But now that I know that they're shit lumps, I, I'm yeah. less interested. Huh. Sad. Huh. They're auto ruminants. Yeah. That's not actually Gross. the word for it. I just made it up. But, yeah. uh, but it's, it's a nasty <laughs> thing that nature likes to do. <laughs> Old Man Varney writes, uh, you guys have mentioned that you have college degrees. I was wondering what you studied and how you like or liked or didn't like it. Uh, do you find your degrees help you in life? Uh, I have a degree in arts and letters from Portland State University. Uh, I regret doing it and it is useless to me. I, my understanding is my college experience was not um, usual, mm-hmm. uh, but it was pretty crappy. And uh, it 
yeah, I did not get tons out of it. I wouldn't say none. And it was useful to get financial aid and quit a job I hated mm-hmm. uh, to do it. But that was the most useful thing yeah. for me. Um, mm-hmm. It was not uh, particularly useful. I am very skeptical about higher education in non-STEM fields. Uh, that's not because I don't like non-STEM fields. I think they are better. But in terms of like a the the presentation of like you you give money we pr- we provide job which yeah. is what college is based on falls apart for passions a lot of the time yes uh you know they they have value in the inherent value of education but that's not how they're sold right um you know so the the whole thing i think is hinky and yeah. i i don't i'm not a big fan i don't know that i would you know if i had <laughs> if i had a younger uh, depending on what is, you know, my ward, uh, would, uh, would want me to, you know, Call uh, me Robin. Me, yeah. Yeah. Depending on what my ward wanted to do. I don't know that I would say, Hey, college is your first choice for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, so I graduated with a degree in electronic media. I am, and always have been working quote in my field, you know, that said, mm-hmm. it took me a long time to get, uh, like an actual job with it. And I tossed that job as soon as I could to do this full time. So like that ended up working, but like, I don't know. I, my classes were neat interview for this though. You know, it's like, I'm not saying that you don't use your, your education, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't a prerequisite to you getting this job. Oh no. I mean, it it was a prerequisite. Like the, the, the way that one led to the other was that just, I learned production stuff, but there's very little, I think that I learned, you know, from actual professors, as good as my professors were, you know, it's a really small program and, you know, everybody kind of, you know, knows each other. Class size was like 10 people per, uh, you know, per lab class kind of deal. Like all mm-hmm. of that was good, but like, I don't know, I could probably get to about where I am, uh, using, uh, tutorials that are available, you know, at least from like a technical standpoint, all of the useful stuff was like production process and like learning how to organize like a larger project, but like the actual college experience of going and living on my own and managing my own time, meeting new people and working on my own shit in the voluminous spare time that I had. Um, uh, uh, that was all the cool stuff, not necessarily like the credential that came. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nostalgia for a period of your life called early twenties as yes. opposed to the actual experience, you know? And I had an early twenties without going to college. Like you can yeah. also have that tons of free time. Like, I, I lived in, I rented a room in a house once where my rent was like 115 bucks. Mm-hmm. Like I worked part-time and made more money than I knew what to do with in yeah. my early twenties. Like that kind of having that shiftlessness uh, is something that people associate with college, but is not only Exclusive available. Yeah. 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 Um, final question. Uh, Ryan says this one's for Cole. Do you think you like the dark tower so much because it's basically a JRPG? You recruit a party, there's different worlds, an evil train, mixes worlds up, never ends, has tons of sequels, gets bad, mixes in random pop culture stuff, snitches and sabers, to be cute, uh, but eh, etc. I I'm not I've not drawn that comparison. I think that the, that is probably just hero's journey stuff there. Um mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I would not I would not link the, the link those two outside of just saying that like Dark Tower is, you know, genre not pastiche, but it's like a genre collage kind of deal. Um, mm-hmm. And so much JRPG, you know, does tend to be genre collage as well. Um, you know, I like it for the, you know, the world and the uh, characters and the metatextual stuff. Uh, you not know, the not structure. The, like yeah. it's the content of the box, not the, 
the shape and order of the boxes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I would say I that that is not conscious. I would not cite that as conscious, but it's probably something knocking around somewhere in there. Yeah. 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 Uh, what is our topic for this month, Cole? Our topic, Gary. Um, this is from Mania DH, I believe. Um, I, I do not know how to pronounce that other than to just say Mania DH, who says, Hey guys, uh, a recent patron who's been listening for free for the past year or so. I know you've been asked about your travel preferences and experiences before, but I wondered um, your input on non-fictional settings. Being from Northern Ireland, I'm fortunate uh, fortunate enough to have English as a first language, but at the same time, I'm from a niche and boring enough locale to never see it portrayed much, especially so in video games. Despite world popularity as a nation, I recommend uh, checking the video games set in Ireland Wikipedia page for a very, very disappointing read. The Assassin's Creed World Tour graced us with Valhalla DLC. Uh, that was pretty cool. But it had to be in the form of Ubi Paste. I, I've, I've never I seen the term Ubi Paste before. That's good. That's, that's good. Uh, the coordinates of my village, uh, and this was quite literally <laughs> a mud puddle. So they got that right. Whoa. That <laughs> <laughs> Burn. Love um <laughs> Uh, my main questions are, what settings, historical or contemporary, uh, have you not yet and would love to see for a video game? Uh, what do you never want to see again? Has there ever been a real or heavily inspired by the real setting that got you interested in the real life area itself? Uh, thanks for reading. Uh, and if you did, thanks for reading if you did and uh, looking forward to more of the show. Yeah. Uh, so taking this as an opportunity to kind of broadly talk about game settings. Mm hmm. Um, and you know, ones that are standard, like why we keep having games that take place in the same settings, yeah, uh, kind of over and over. Um, and then, uh, what, you know, what we would obviously like to see. Yeah. Um, because there is a, uh, real dearth of variety of these, you know, yeah. uh, specifically in how they're used, I guess. Like you can you can run into something that uh, is technically set somewhere, but doesn't effectively use the place. Yeah, it's a bad well. representation. Yeah, bad representation or just a shallow representation. Like the place is very incidental mm -hmm. to to the location. Like I think for a location to really matter in the spirit of this question, it has to interface with the story or characters in a way that is like important. Yes, you know it can't just be a backdrop. No, no, it is hill zone. Like has to <laughs> tills. That's pretty good. <laughs> like, you know, uh, I, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I think about, uh, you know, that kind of, uh, consonants, let's say, uh, the, you know, like that being done. Well, it's a game that I've only like messed around with, but it's something that I, you know, understand is actually pretty good. Watchdogs Two being a game that takes place in and is a, uh, skewering of startup tech culture kind of stuff being mm -hmm. set in the Bay area, uh, you know, and just, turning turning it into kind of this l hole that is shaped by all the dot-com bullshit going on mm -hmm. uh, and all the you know iot dystopian almost cyberpunk kind of stuff like that is a really good resonance between those things that seems like a good like you know a good mix of them more so than just hey this is this is our game that is happens to be set in the bay area because that happens to be to be where people live yeah and because it, it's just a major city where things happen yeah you know, things, things get set there. That, that's a really good example. I, I think of, of doing a good job with it. You can, you can do a good job with it through, uh, 
taking an area that is not often represented and taking something about it uh, and forefronting it, you can also do a cool job with it by taking something that is very represented and taking it more seriously. Yes. Um, like, for example, uh, the depiction of New York and the Spider-Man mm-hmm. uh, game is really good, I think. Yeah. Uh, uses New York well, represents it. It feels New York-y. It looks yeah. like New York to somebody who has been to New York, like probably residents could find their exact address and find a, a mud puddle, you know, mm-hmm. there or the equivalent. But for somebody who has visited New York a few times, it's a really nice approximation of it Yeah, in a video game uh, that I think is just very successful mm-hmm. uh, at establishing that density. Yeah. Uh, David, co-host on The Level, he lived in uh, Manhattan for a while. Uh, and he liked playing the division two, which had basically his neighborhood as a level. And he was able to go and find his, find his apartment down in like yeah. down by battery park, uh, which that, that's that a cool great. experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really fun, surreal thing that you can, you know, you, some people are able to do like mm-hmm. able to get, depending on where they live, which I think is cool. <laughs> I've never lived anywhere important enough to have it happen, but you know, I've gotten real high mm-hmm. on edibles and played around with <laughs> VR maps. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, we all have Google Maps for this. Um, <laughs> the, uh, in terms of like settings that, uh, so what we get a lot, uh, we get a lot of American city. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we get a lot of American rural. So whatever Alan Wake takes place in, you know, we're always going to get stuff like that. <laughs> we, get, um, we get a lot of Twin Peaks. <laughs> Twin Peaks, yeah. Twin Peaks, uh, gone home, like a rural Northwestern, yeah. you know, kind, kind of thing. We get a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Uh we get a lot of medieval Europe and yep. we get a lot of, uh, like Japan, feudal era, Japan, I feel mm-hmm. like yeah. are the big video game settings, big city, Japan uh, as well. Yeah. Big Major. city, Japan. Yeah. yeah. And then, f- uh, uh, ill-defined future, you know, <laughs> like just kind of cyberpunkish, uh, yeah. which barely counts because it tends not to be about the place. Right? No, like, no. One of my favorite properties of all time is Shadowrun, which takes place in Seattle and doesn't have anything to do with Seattle. Like when you play those video games, it does not feel like Seattle. And when you Mm -hmm. play the tabletop game, it barely feels like Seattle. Like unless you know the town, you can't really add enough detail to make it feel distinct. Yeah. You know, Uh, that is a bummer uh, to, to me. Uh, but it, yeah, any, like those places that, that you go to over and over and over, uh, there are ones that I love, like it's not a death knell to mm-hmm. be in an ill-defined future or an American city or an American yeah. twin peaks. Uh, there are lots of games that do those things, uh, that I like, uh, yeah. but I am. So, there, so I guess this is a really, really long path I'm taking to the, are there any settings you never want to see again? Yeah. Uh, no. Cause there's mm-hmm. still, you know, an artic- it's only so important to me. Yeah. Like burned out on feudal Japan for now, but I'm sure that will fade mm-hmm. and a cool enough take with like cool monsters and fucked up demons would mm-hmm. probably get me back in. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I don't want to like ax anything because I think that rather than just the kind of setting being a turnoff, I think it's like either lazy or just very cursory depictions, you know? Yeah. Like just, what do you have to say about this? Why, you know, what, what is the, choice to set it here say about the rest of the stuff going on like i think that you know for cyberpunk kind of stuff you know shadow run that's less about like the base place and more about the way that these various forces have shaped something that was already there you know 
Like yeah. it's almost, it's almost always about, you know, m- you know, market forces or technology coming in and, you know, just, just seeing the, the, the stress of the disparity between, you know, where the world wants to head versus just the actual built environment that it, it is stubbornly still there. And the people who cannot be brought along to prosper alongside it, like that's cool stuff. And if I said no more cyberpunk future, please, you lose the ability to, to tell more stories in that. Right. Yeah. I 100%. You know, there's also, though, a lot of times where that stuff is not specific, like it's not about the specific tensions of the future of this place and the the present of this place. Mm -hmm. It's about the current general presence and the current general future. Yeah. You know, like cyberpunk games dodge the question in a lot of ways because they tend to be anonymous. Yeah. Like there will be an aesthetic, you know, you can see a, a billboard with some Japanese text in it in Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't like Blade Runner takes place in LA, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But it doesn't need to. It doesn't feel like it says very much about LA. Yeah. Uh, to me, you know, or or what happened to it, other than just like this idea of in the eighties, you know, Cyberpunk thought Japan was gonna take everything over. Yeah, because everybody thought because, that in the eighties. Yeah. Well, and because William Gibson very specifically thought it yeah. when he made Cyberpunk. Uh-huh. You know? So yeah, I don't, uh, I don't want to get rid of anything. Uh, and even, and the, the thing I would probably be most likely to get rid of, I can't because it's my kryptonite, which is castles and shit. Yeah. Like I just, you know, a non from soft take on castles and shit, uh, mm-hmm. typically does not have a lot that's adding to it. Like ye yeah. old knights and, 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 and the like, uh, mm-hmm. but I just am jazzed by swords <laughs> and I like ex- I love exploring a castle. I think they're a really cool place for a video game level to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just can't get rid of the part of me that's just inherently interested in that. Yeah. So like, while I think that typically like games don't have tons to say about that era or the games that take place in that era, aren't saying very much about it mm-hmm. are not using it more than just a genre backdrop. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I still, it's a genre backdrop. I like, yeah, like castles yeah, I, and stuff. It's less of a setting and more of like a bracket for expectations you could have about what you're going to see in this work. Yes, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I like I think about stuff that I would like to see more. You know, even just based on things that were done before. Like before I move off of the uh, off of the cyberpunk kind of stuff. Um, uh, Dragonfall being set in you know the Kreuzberg in uh, Berlin. You know, mm-hmm. as like this hypothetical anarchist collective plopped right down in the middle of all of these different forces from the, you know, the different directions around it, this kind of little pocket civilization that can only exist temporarily, but while it does, mm-hmm. it's beautiful, you know, um, that's all real cool. And that's great. you don't see anything really, you know, in, you know, set in, set in Berlin, you know, mm-hmm. in central, central European, I have a huge, um, af- affection for anything Eastern European and games, Me too. uh, whether it's, you know, the Belarusian cities in ha- half-life two, whether it's, um, you know, pathologic, the small towns on the step, uh, things like that stalker. Yeah. 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 Me too. Uh, I, and we talked about that. That was, you know, when we did pathologic where it's like, this is a different aesthetic. It feels like a game from a different place in the world with a different mindset Mm -hmm. than we're used to. And that was very, very refreshing. And one of the reasons I think so is because it avoided some pitfalls that happened with this, which, uh, like I'm tempted to say in answer to this, like, I just want any area we haven't seen. 
you know, but I don't want that because video games fall prey to kind of shitty exoticism a lot. Yep. You know, uh, what I don't want to say is like, oh, I want more games set in Africa and then trust video game developers to set video games in Africa. What I want is like a very specific example, which is like, I want a game made by an Ethiopian team that is about that region specifically as a place that has never been colonized. Right. Yeah. You know, like, like an actual informed, you know, insider an insider's view about the kinds of stories that they value in that particular setting that I don't know very much about. Like it needs to be so specific as opposed to just me saying, Hey, let's have it happen in Africa land. Take it away. Resident evil five. Yeah, uh, exa- yeah. Exa- and, and I would add a writer to this motion, which is, I don't want um, a one Oh one primer. on you know what the local equivalents are of like you know like what i don't want as much as i I like and admire this game Mm -hmm. uh, i'm not just clamoring for more year walks right i i I would like there to be something that deals with more specificity and less myth as well yeah these these kind of things like it's weird that we don't have anything that emulates day-to-day life outside of america or japan Yes. You know, like we can, we can play a game, you can play a Shenmue and see what it might be like to live in a small town uh, in Japan. And you can play a host of video games and see what it might be like to play, you know, in an American or just like European, like Mm -hmm. general European town. But I don't know, like I would love to play a video game where, you know, like a life is strange that takes place, you know, in Cairo or Istanbul or something. You know, yeah, it's not like, exoticized. It's not just about the monsters and myths mm-hmm. and stuff. It's gives me an idea of what these cultures are like. Yeah. Yeah. No, good. Like, give me a life of strange in like Johannesburg, right? Yes. That'd be cool. That'd be awesome. Yeah. 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 Something I, I really want to get on the schedule is Mankind Divided because it takes place in future Prague. Oh, nice. uh, and that's really cool. Like, it's a, yeah. it's a great, they do a great job with it. Uh, it's not so proggy. You know, uh, it's not so King Crimson that it, it, it answers our specific requests, Uh but it, it does, uh, you know, it is an unusual setting and it does stuff Mm -hmm. with it. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. the, 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 like the, the, the secret on some of this, like for like setting question is, uh, give me something like Hitman where it, it, like you feasibly could be going anywhere. And yes, oftentimes you're going to be just, uh, uh, killing people around where rich people like to be. But like, I don't know, oh, that Colorado, <laughs> that Colorado, yeah. uh, uh, episode in Hitman one, like breaking into a prepper commune, pr- pretty cool. Um, <laughs> I, I'm mad at myself for not thinking about Hitman. And this yeah. because Hitman is such a good answer for so much of the stuff. Oh yeah. Like yes, you're doing murders, but like you are a fly on the wall in snapshot locations all around the world. Yeah. I mean what a beautiful the, thing. The the uh the Chan Ching um uh mission Hitman three, where like mm-hmm. it is quite literally you're walking along the streets, you know, where on house people are being swept up and then going into these, you know, really ritzy facilities, you know, seeing those existing like right next to each other. I, I'm sorry to make this all about like class disparity or whatever but that just tells you obviously it matters you know it's it's a it's a big part there there is a a lot of the the reason why probably uh you could argue one reason there's not a booming ethiopian video game industry is because of economics yeah you know that that's (laughs) no probably about it i i was trying to couch that so i didn't actually say something uh offensive yeah yeah it's just not that that country's love you know industry 
mm-hmm. uh, level. That's, you know, it's not, doesn't say anything about the people. It's just mm-hmm. the case. Um, you know, so there are economic aspects to this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and throwing that needle between it not being like poverty porn yeah. or being an outsider doing this, uh, coming in and just kind of showing like, oh, the Kowloon Wall City, isn't it scary and and gross and dangerous, you know, uh, something that is actually about feet on, feet on the ground, mm-hmm. uh, is it really important and refreshing? Yeah. Um, that, that specificity is huge. Like the cool thing about Hitman is that like, it doesn't say what is life like in Miami. It says, what is life like in this microculture in Miami? Yeah. That, that springs pops. up around an event. Yeah. That pops up in this space that is for events. Yeah. I don't know how we we keep so many questions just lead back to Hitman being too fucking good for this world. Oh, it's I mean it's amazing so levels. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> it is really a remarkable video game that a lot of dipshits dismiss just because they don't like the the name and the concept. <laughs> like even if you like mod it so you don't have to kill people or mm-hmm. just don't kill people. Like yeah. if you like video games and level design and location, play Hitman and don't murder anybody. Just check out these spaces yeah. because they're you know they did stuff with a budget and level of scale that just does not happen mm-hmm. in places where it does not happen. It's miraculous. It really, yeah. really is. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's very special. Like, so more of those, Please. you know, I'm less interested in whatever James Bond is going to do in those locations. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I'd rather hitman somebody than seduce somebody in mm-hmm. a gross James Bond way. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, I hope that that team is going to continue this, like, we're going to look at parts of the world that don't get video gameized. Yes. Uh, kind of mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it. Do you know about um, the northernmost city? Uh, that's like up in the, I, I, the name of it is escaping me right now. I've talked about it on the Slack <sighs> before. Um, um, northernmost city. No. Uh, in the, the world. Uh, let's say that's Yong, Long Birian, which was not what I thought it was. There's a city uh, that, you know, the name is escaping right now, which makes me sound like an idiot. Mm-hmm. But it is this city, like, way up in the Arctic where, like, basically everyone is welcome. Okay. Like, if you want to go there and settle, you can. Hmm. Uh, and uh, it's real dangerous. There are polar bears and shit. Uh, <laughs> but there's this little industry. And, oh, uh, Svalbard. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah that's what that. I was thinking. That, so that's the archipelago. The city is Long Urban. Okay. Hmm. Uh, Svalbard, though, is really interesting to me. Uh, that yeah. is worth watching YouTube's about and reading about. That would be a really cool place for a horror game, I think, because they could not be more cut off and polar bears are scary. Agreed. Give me a Long yeah. Urban city <laughs> or a game. So here's, I, I'm a, I'm a huge dork about like geography kind of stuff. Like don't give mm-hmm. me a quiz, but like on my bedroom wall, I've got a map, a uh, map taped to a cork board. And occasionally I've gone in and looked for exotic locations. It's quote unquote, non-American locations where listeners have patronized from, or, you know, bought stuff, you know, and mm-hmm. I've put pins up there, but like, sometimes I'll just stand there and look at it and you know, say like, Oh, that's an Island. That's in a weird place. Let me just Google that and see what happens there. And oftentimes it's just like, oh yeah, it's an abandoned Soviet base. I'm like, that's still really cool though. Yeah. Shit. Singularity. Yeah. <laughs> or like uh, Snake Island or whatever. Yeah. Where uh, that I found out about the 72 most dangerous animals. Mm-hmm. That incredibly dangerous snake, and you're not supposed to go there because all the snake signs. <laughs> yeah. Family yeah. that live there and die in a lighthouse. 
<laughs> trying to, trying to live against the snakes. There's a um there's a series of books that are just kind of like like middle brow reference books, but I uh I love these things. I just keep keep them out variously to read them, but it's like the uh the the atlas of Obscura? like the atlas of uh, no. no, no, it's like the, the the atlas of remote islands, the atlas of cursed places, the atlas of uh, abandoned cities or something like that, which is just, mm-hmm. you know, just reference books. They're broken down by region and you can just read these little stories about what happens there or what you could find mm. there. I would really recommend those if you're just looking for like a way to split the deck and possibly get a, possibly get a cool, um, you know, thing. If not, uh, uh, not, if not a setting directly to use something that could inform a setting, love those things. Yeah. That's that stuff is great. Yeah. So generally we want new stuff but just handled the exact way we want it yeah is the answer that's not so hard yeah just do it (laughs) why not yeah so that that is uh that is it for your questions and topics uh for this keep an eye out on the patreon for next month uh now we are going to read your responses to our games uh for august final Fantasy 12 and wario land 4 yeah I'll get us started with Fiona, who says, Final Fantasy XII is the last JRPG that I 100%ed back in high school. I specifically remember finishing the last of the super bosses, finally rolling credits, and then saying out loud to an empty room, I don't think that was worth it. I've had some, I've had some close relapses, uh, but mostly maintained a better value on my time since. Uh, super bosses are a tough, you know, yeah, tough road to hoe. And there are a lot in, of super bosses in Final Fantasy XII. There's probably, I did not fight them this go around, but there's probably a level in which they're fun and you can still kind of do some expressive play. Mm-hmm. And then ones that have solved meta and yeah, just yeah. extremely optimized strats. Like you have to go grind for enough ribbons or this boss is impossible. Yeah, yeah. You know, kind it's of a, stuff. It's probably like a 60-40 split between those, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I could see being burned out on all of them uh, or doing all of them. Yeah. Uh, Kevin says, loved your episodes covering Final Fantasy XII. I played the game when it came out for the PS2 and really enjoyed it. To this day, it's probably the most time I've spent playing a game. If I remember right, I clocked in around 120 hours. I don't remember much of the text of the game, but I do recall enjoying the dialogue immensely. Something that has also stuck with me over the years is the randomly impressive sub-area names on the larger area maps. I don't recall any in particular, but looking them up now, I see this map of the Nebraeus Deadlands having sub-areas called the Veil of Lingering Sorrow and Echoes of the Past. It is just lovely. Yeah, I love those little area names. Yeah. It's a uh, it's good good proto dark soul shit. <laughs> that should that shit happens in uh, real life too. Like you know, you'll just be looking at a map and you'll see an area that is oh, like Donna just <laughs> what you're like, huh? Donosaurus. <laughs> well, or, or, like, you, like you, usually it's like a like just the, the, some dude's name, but it's like oh that is that that is Daniel's folly. Okay, who's oh, Daniel? I, Why was that their folly? <laughs> I love I love a folly. Folly is so good. I, I live uh, not too far away from a neighborhood in Portland called Sullivan's Gulch, Ooh. Uh, which I've always been a little tickled by. Yeah. Like, mm, gulch. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a neighborhood. There's no gulch yeah. about it. But, you know, it's a cool, it's a cool suffix. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I am a, I'm a big fan of those little area names as well. Uh, Jonathan writes, uh, I love the older Final Fantasies. Final Fantasy XII felt so different that it made me question, am I stuck in serious nostalgia or is the series heading in a direction that is not for me? I think it sits somewhere in the middle. 
Ivalice feels amazing as a lived-in world, and it's fun to explore beyond what you could in Final Fantasy Tactics. Like Final Fantasy VIII, the side content really shines. Hunting rare monsters, fighting Gilgamesh, and obtaining a new pantheon of espers were standouts. The elimination of random encounters is amazing, but I still prefer the older combat. Gambits weren't bad, but I but they didn't feel engaging. Uh, I imagine you could frantically input every action if you wanted to, like a madman. Um, the plot and music were fine, but ultimately forgettable. Overall, Final Fantasy XII may have been a premonition of me falling away from the series, but I still enjoyed my time. Vaughn still sucks, though. It it is uh, Vaughn does suck. It, it is a like bridge point between old Final Fantasy and new Final Fantasy. One hundred percent. Yeah. You know, so like it being the the Final Fantasy that I fell off with, like I never beat it as a kid. I just got pretty far in it and quit. Uh, I had a similar experience. I'm yeah. ultimately glad I went back, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because things like the gambits are now an upside to me rather than a downside mm-hmm. to me. But I, I imagine you're not alone in that. I imagine that like there is a pretty strong contingent of Final Fantasy people who did not follow it. If they followed it past 12, put the hard breaks at 13 and never went back. Yeah. I, th- I think mm-hmm. that that, you know, span of time between 10, you know, basically between 10 and now it just this, the extended square Enix identity crisis that we talked about in the, uh, the mm-hmm. episodes. Uh, yeah. I think that that provided ample opportunity for people to fall off, but you know, I am very sympathetic to the question of like, okay, did I move to the city or did the city move to me? Right. Yeah. You know, did uh, did did, Final, did did I grow out of Final Fantasy, or did it just grow in a different direction? It's like honestly, a question I've been struggling with myself ever since we started this show. Yeah, like so, so <laughs> many of my dumb, shitty little boring rants just uh, <laughs> boil down to that. You know, yeah. it's me thinking out loud about that exact question. Like, yeah. how could this be something that I would literally like run home to play oh, yeah. that now feels like the most boring fucking shit I've ever. <laughs> I would skip school for two days when these came out. Like, yeah. And <laughs> now it's like a little bit of a chore. Like mm-hmm. even Final Fantasy 12, which I liked was still pretty easy to put down for yeah. me. Uh, when I was done, I was like, yeah, I'm done. Mm-hmm. This is fine. You know? Uh, and figuring out where that articulation point is very interesting uh, to me at least. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, a different Jonathan, uh, I believe. Says, yes, it is. Uh, on Final Fantasy XII, on that episode, Gary mentioned that the different accents were something the Western localization team added for flavor, and that, that ended with twelve. I can say that the statement is only mostly true. There's one other Final Fantasy game that uses accents and dialects, and that's fourteen. You can tell where some characters are from because they use sailor slang or have Hindi accents. Even what some people call the summons in the game uh, world tells you where they come from, either a primal, an icon, or a god. Those little details are all over 14, and it baffles me that not just Final Fantasy, but other games don't really use that simple trick to make the world seem bigger and more natural. That is my gift to you, so you don't have to pay the time tax that I did playing Final Fantasy 14 and to cut off any pedants who come at you. Cheers. Thank you for your service, Jonathan. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I will prescribe the pedant shield pills plus. Uh, <laughs> whenever I, can. Um, I, I I think on some level I knew that because uh, people talk about Final Fantasy 14 a lot on the Slack. Yes. Um, I still think of them as very separate games because it's a big infinite hour MMO. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I categorize them differently, whether that's fair or not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, but so it's good the, to know the, that they use that trick because it's a good trick. It's a great trick. You know, and as as somebody who is like, I don't like character action games really anymore, but is 
almost mildly like curious about Final Fantasy 16. Mm-hmm. Like I like that it's going medieval again. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and it's being run by the Final Fantasy 14 guy that everyone assures me is great. Mm-hmm. Even if you have to wait 90 hours to get there, uh, <laughs> it is encouraging that this might be part of that as well. Cause it's a cool trick. Yeah. Uh, necessary, but not sufficient though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's enough opinion. to, it's enough to keep me cautiously curious, let's say. Yeah. But not day one purchase curious. Yeah. Uh, wait for people to start saying what the game is like, not just Final <laughs> Fantasy 15 is amazing, full stop. No, I will not be answering questions. No. Bullshit. I, yeah. I need to get it um, after the initial uh, sugar rush uh, and after the initial backlash. It needs yes. to moderate just a little bit. Like both of those waves need to pass for me to get a like an honest read on what actually is happening with it. Yeah. The sober appraisal yeah. period, which takes a long time for a Final Fantasy. Yes. Um, will writes, I first played Final Fantasy XII as a senior in high school, curled up with the flu on our uncomfortable living room chair. Ten years later, I played Zodiac Age while in graduate school, standing in front of the TV at four in the morning with my six-month-old hanging off my front in a baby carrier. He had trouble sleeping through the night, and the only way he'd go back to sleep is if I rocked him gently while standing. Oh, that's sweet. Um, I remember playing the game while reflecting on the difference between those two eras of my life. The story felt different with my son held close than it did as a teenager who didn't really understand love and sacrifice. While not perfect, it felt like the game executed better on exploring Ash's struggle with grief. It gave her power and focus, but was just as often self-destructive. It made me wonder what kind of person I would be if I went through the kind of loss that she did. Yeah, I I think that... uh this this is that is the intent yes and and something that like again just me doing the thing i was just making fun of myself for my (laughs) never-ending like self-exploration of this uh and this is not a quality of a difference i don't think this is a virtue but i can't do that bringing of myself i can't be like i wonder what i would feel like if i went through the same thing ash went through without knowing more about ash yeah. Like I needed like I really don't like that storyline in Final Fantasy 12 even if I don't like I don't want to take that away from from Will at yeah. all. Mm-hmm. But it fell flat for me because her weird little real doll husband who like only shows up <laughs> as a force ghost doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> right. Like he's just good but honorable and their relationship has no detail, it's not lived in. Mm-hmm. There's no there's nothing for me to, I don't know why they love each other. Yeah. You know, and that's that's super important to me. I can't slot in like there are people who I greatly, greatly, greatly love uh, and I have lost and have had a huge impact on me. I can't watch media and slot those people in that easily, I guess. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's just a, like I, I'm very glad that Will has that. But that is part of the gene of enjoying these stories that other people I find have that I lack. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the time. Yeah. And for me, like it's hard to respond to it because I do not necessarily primarily appreciate uh final fantasy 12 story on the personal scale i I think that it works better at a bigger scale than personal you know so Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's hard to respond to that because i don't have a lot of personal feelings in that direction yeah yeah i would i would like the version of the game that did spend more time on ash is loss yes and what that did to her Mm -hmm. you know um that would be cool to me agreed uh rose says final fantasy 12 is the game that i've started the most times without ever finishing i think i've started up and lost steam five times since first playing in 2008 both the regular and the zodiac age versions while i really like the quick nature of the gambit system something about the combat loses me at 30 plus hours 
once I feel uh, fall into a safe rut with uh, all-purpose gambits that let me walk from one end of an area to the other without needing to make a choice, I just lose interest. It's weird because I do think many other aspects of the game work well together, but once the moment-to-moment gameplay loses me, there's no drive to wrap up the plot. I don't think I've ever made it past the Great Crystal. Uh, It's interesting contrast to Final Fantasy XIII, which came next, which I think is significantly worse as a game, but much more engaging moment-to-moment in combat. Final Fantasy XIII's combat was fun enough to motivate me to power through to the end, even though all other aspects except maybe the characters were weaker than Final Fantasy XII. Story, the setting, the pacing, leveling problems. It makes me think about how a good game can still outstay its welcome, and a bad game can live past its welcome if it has a hook. Yeah, I like that last part quite a bit. That's a that is an interesting decision to make. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I often, you know, uh, I've been using it as an example a lot recently, but control pulling mm-hmm. me along with the story well after the play had lost me. Yeah. You know, uh, uh Horizon Zero Dawn, same thing. Mm-hmm. Like video games do that a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and vice versa. Um, like I hate playing this. I don't care enough about the story to finish it because it is just poison to me. Yeah. In my yeah. hands. Yeah. Yeah, and like any of that combat in the Final Fantasy thirteen vein, thirteen, fifteen, and uh, seven remake, which I kind of lump all together in that you know combination real time, um, you know button input, like you're making more decisions based on like stun meter and stuff. All of that is really interesting and fun. Um, mm-hmm. It's just that either thirteen or fifteen held my attention, whereas like Final Fantasy the seven remake, I'm curious about it, but never had the time to put into it to see further. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting the way. Uh, Something that sometimes feels true to me about Final Fantasy fandom uh, is mm-hmm. that people feel a little bit like under the, they're under like a goblin's curse to like it. Like even people <laughs> yeah. who really like it are always just like, yeah, this thing about it absolutely fucking sucks balls. This is yeah. the worst. You know, even the hugest fans like, oh, you have to get through 90 hours for it to get good. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this sucks. This sucks. Uh, and it's just waiting those individual aspects of it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I just, I yearn for a world where you don't have to do that. Yeah. Like where I don't have to say like, yeah, this part was absolutely unquestionably garbage, but it was still worth it to go do this good thing. You (laughs) know, like what if you just did the good thing? What if you found a video game where you didn't have to do that? Yeah. You know, and I understand like it, not everybody, people evaluate their own time different ways. And sometimes that thing that they can get that that's good is unique enough to them that they'll put up with any amount of bad. Like, I understand that. Yeah. Uh, there are things that I'm that way about, too. But it's just always interesting to me that fans of this series are always like, yeah, this thing about this absolutely fucking sucks. It's mm-hmm. the worst. However, <laughs> I really love the music. So it was worth playing. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. man. OK. OK. Yeah. Cool. You know, go with God. <laughs> goblin's curse is a very funny phrase i the uh <laughs> I, I i don't know what what happened to, to add to the apologetics for the series among its fans <laughs> uh let's see jay writes i don't think it's an accident that you use a chessboard to level up in a game about grand political strategy and intrigue uh, especially since you're encouraged to plan out your progression path in advance Likewise, I think it's a fascinating. Uh, it's I think it's fascinating that a game about the gods manipulating the major political powers of the world has a combat system that favors fuzzy heuristic direction over explicit control of the player's actions. I think it's weird that the lost princess of an occupied kingdom is running around doing uh, contract monster killing while the world is at stake. But I do think the game's systems and themes are more aligned than they appear at first glance. 
I don't know if the parallel between the Acuria and the player is an intentional meta-narrative commentary about games in general, but it's definitely an interesting coincidence. The player has some agency in directing the characters, but they feel, uh, but they very firmly make their own decisions through the course of the game. It's fun to play the game with that dynamic in mind. Yeah, I, I think this is an interesting idea. I think that the only, like the thing that the reason why I didn't uh, catch on to this when I was playing is that I feel like a lot of that can be said about a lot of yeah uh, these games. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that are about the manipulations of the gods. And if if I'm going to make a drawing of being manipulated by a god to being a player, yeah. there's just a lot of video games that applies to. Like, you can accidentally fall into that pretty oh. easy. I mean, even back as far as, um, oh gosh, Final Fantasy Legend, you know, the saga game yeah. on the, you know, like literally the thing you fight at the end is called the creator. And it just looks, it looks like a dude, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that. that is a that is a pretty common thematic trick. Yeah, I think uh, in the genre, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I yeah. can see the chessboard uh, thing mm-hmm. for sure. Um, the other bit, you know, you do control your characters like you can set them up mm-hmm. to do this. But I the reason why that doesn't land very hard for me as a theme thing is what we mentioned and the fact that you're basically just setting up to do the things you would do anyway. Yeah, no. uh, it's got some like Legend of Lagaya feeling to it where like that feels mm. like it's much more interactive but really you're just putting in a cheat code instead of pressing choosing from an, a menu yeah yeah you know the illusion of of additional interactivity mm-hmm. i guess yeah the one thing uh that i will kind of make an extra comment on you know the idea that oh this princess of an occupied kingdom kingdom is doing monster killing contracts uh this is like a rare instance where i do not feel the dissonance of impending calamity and fucking around and wasting time specifically because like everything is held at such a stasis you know it is the two empires for the majority of the story um uh threatening with war at each other and jockeying for position um and you know uh struggling internally before any action takes place and that Mm. is happening alongside individual actors attempting to do maybe like one or two small things and you going and trying to outmaneuver them. But there is no, the meteor hangs, you know, is is hanging in the sky uh, up until the very end when sky fortress Bahamut is headed toward Rabinaster, you know, they, they Mm. avoid, they avoid that dissonance pretty well in 12. I think what's, what's interesting is I didn't since I didn't do tons of side stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't feel dissonance at all. Like my characters yeah. were constantly saying, we have to get here. And I was like, yeah, we have to get here. <laughs> and then I went there and it, it felt pretty natural. Like the characters did not feel like they were fucking around at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how it would feel if I took a real lackadaisical pace yeah. to it for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting. I almost never do that in role-playing games at all, Eastern or Western. Right. Um, you know, I like, I love doing side stuff generally. So Typically, I will go, you know, save somebody else's kidnapped kid before I kidnap, you know, find Sean uh, <laughs> in, a, in a video game. And here I just chose not to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. um, is this me or you? This is you. This is me. Ian says, uh, this is a game that broke my first bought console. Well, really, I broke my PS2 trying to mod it. My first modification was so it could read a burned ISO of the inter, uh, International Zodiac Job System version. When that didn't work, I bought a copy of the game from Japan and had it shipped to me and then tried modding it for region unlocking. It was the greatest amount of illegal things I had ever done to play a game. <laughs> Sadly, all my efforts only led to my PS2 insisting on a formatting disc. 
dejected. I tried to revert my changes, but ended up hearing a sharp, small snap. Oof. After that, my PS2 became a lovely paperweight. I sent emulated the game on PC and was ecstatic when they announced the Zodiac Age two job classes per character and <laughs> rapturous when they ported it to Switch. Really looking forward to hearing y'all's discussion of my favorite Final Fantasy. I love that Man, story. Hardware modding. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so you know, the whole, whole thing. Don't feel bad. I, uh, I, I fucked up doing that myself too. Uh, it wasn't modding, but when my, uh, PlayStation two laser broke, I attempted to, you know, I bought an OEM replacement, uh, looked up mm-hmm. guides on how to solder it and still fucked it up and just went on a site and bought somebody's pre-modded PS2. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's I keep, good, uh, good to be able to pay uh, people to do that for you. Yeah, absolutely. Cause hey, I'm, I'm dog shit at it. <laughs> I, I'm not, it's the a big running guppy thing is bricking your switch. And stuff, and now I can brick my Steam Deck as a thing if I if I add too many mods or do some shit. I have a much more expensive little thing to brick. Oh man, um, oh. what does that say? Uh, Nat says, uh, and this is uh, the Nat who uh, sponsored the episode. Thank you, Nat. Uh, you know, they say Final Fantasy XII is a deeply flawed game. I nonetheless have a lot of affection for a large, a large part is of course, nostalgia. This is one of the first big console games that I sank my teeth into and multiple failed runs carried me through junior high and then high school. When one of my close friends got it, uh, got into it with me. I can still remember pulling an all nighter fighting the atrocity of design. That is Yasmat. Uh, another part is, uh, is that it is in many ways, final fantasy's last gasp at being something besides a character action franchise this game's bizarre combination of mmo and crpg-esque mechanics makes it a standout to me even if it doesn't always work whatever game uh lets you give up on a boss uh you're sure you're lost against only for your party uh of simply programmed idiots to somehow win uh this is actually how i beat elder worm the first time um I think the Zodiac Age re-release was just what the game needed, sanding off many of the rougher edges and making the game more accessible, while also making the license board a lot more dynamic and interesting, and I was thrilled to be able to play it on a handheld. The treasure system remains uh, the most indefensible part of the game, though. Absolute rubbish. Overall, a standout to me, even if it isn't perfect, I think Final Fantasy XII demands more discussion and conversation than the casual dismissal it gets from many franchise fans, uh, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah, uh, thank you again. Now, yeah, thank watching you. the episode, it was fun. Like it was, I was really happy to have an excuse to go through this uh, and and talk about it. Same. Um, the it's interesting uh, in hearing people talk about it was kind of my first exposure to it being a black sheep of the series. Yeah. When it came out, there was a lot of discussion around that, but I felt like we were firmly in like a deep reappraisal, uh, oh, largely yeah. probably influenced by me feeling like Jeremy Parrish as a tastemaker. Yeah. Like my, my perspective of Jeremy Parrish as a thought leader. <laughs> yeah. Uh, probably, it's, he probably influenced that. It's not, you know, not a bad position to bet on, I would say. Yeah. Jeremy's smart. Like, that yeah. guy's great. Uh, but yeah, the, it is an interesting thing reading these responses and seeing that there are people who are just like, yeah, this was, this was my, you know, one took over the line. Yeah. Uh, for this stuff. There are a lot of responses that I was not able to put in just because of episode length generally. Um, uh, and I tried to keep it pretty representative. There were a lot of people who were lukewarm on it uh, or, yeah. or who just, you know, straight up it didn't land for them. So this is pretty divisive even, even among listeners. Yeah. Fascinating. Like I, I really thought that this would be one of the most popular, you know, games we've done. Like whenever mm-hmm. we do final fantasy, I always feel like people love them. 
like yeah. regard like you know not the episodes but the the games themselves like people have a very strong response to the games yeah it's interesting to see people be be more lukewarm to this than final fantasy 10 which i think is a, a worse game yeah um yeah yeah uh vincent aka mr reciprocity says as someone who followed final fantasy religiously from 7 to x2 10 2 but lost track of the series when it entered its troubled teen years I was thrilled when Woff gave me an excuse to finally come back to it. The thrill, sadly, did not last. The thing that really bombed for me with Final Fantasy XII was the storytelling. So much of it feels artificial, disjointed, arbitrary, and I think it's because this game lacks a solid sense of perspective. Those earlier Final Fantasies have a particular formula. Start with a group of weirdos, ram them headfirst into a convoluted, overblown plot and then bind it all together with human connection moments of genuine warmth shared hardship etc the party's relationships with each other with npcs and with the systems and structures of the setting provide the point of view from which we experience the world 12 instead starts with a group of calvin klein models runs them alongside uh, the convoluted overblown plot and binds it together with not very much the party rarely interacts outside of moving the plot forward and never forms a coherent unit compared to the game's closest narrative sibling uh nine uh in which a blonde vest-wearing street rat joins up with a princess on the run who uses a fake name zidane and garnet slash dagger don't just hang out and do tasks together they also serve to present uh to us very different angles on their world and the game has us watch as they reconcile those viewpoints and the viewpoints of the rest of their crew of misfits to create our understanding of the setting the sum of this for me ends up feeling like an exquisite corpse with a handful of writers trading control back and forth but none of them are particularly interested in what the others are doing one wants to talk about zoomed out geopolitics another had a cool story about crystal aliens manipulating the fate of mankind a third uh, has a whole spreadsheet of judges they're trying to get on screen and a fourth really wanted to do a thing about sky pirates these things could be interesting but without that sense of perspective tying it all together it's all just there flat and perfunctory like a victory screen that just says congratulations in yellow type while the camera pans circles around a trio of heroes uh who finished their animations eight seconds ago <laughs> scathing I, it's scathing it's not like i i don't fully agree with that there is a, a thing in this like that did push me away. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we talked about in the episode, like the characters stopped talking to each other. Yeah. Uh, arguably, you know, at least one third of the characters have no reason to be there. Yeah. Uh, and Balthier and, you know, Fran are iffy. Yeah. For being there. They're there for money, but then they also get in there for other reasons and stick around longer mm -hmm. than you'd expect for a Han Solo type character. Like, yeah, the characters are more disconnected from things than they are in other games. Yes. Um, you know, the thing that, uh, was the other hand that drew me in with this was that their dialogue wasn't fucking embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, you know, because the presentation is really good. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of me being like tricked, you know, like I generally <laughs> agree that like uh, these characters don't have a good reason to be here. It's not, uh, it's not a great character piece. This game but also theme matters, you know, or theming well, matters, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Theming and presentation does matter. Yeah. You yeah. know? Uh, and as somebody who's bugbear with these games, a lot of times is the absolutely, bottom of the barrel embarrassing dialogue uh it's really nice to not have that happen yeah uh in these it's very tempting knowing the production uh woes that this game had especially with matsuno who was kind of the you know grand planner for the story and world uh you know mm -hmm. him leaving a year before uh 
uh, before it came out and you know other other folks stepping in it's tempting to fall into an easy pattern of just like a tour like oh yeah he was not there to see it through to the end so therefore that probably contributed to some of the messiness feeling the the real answer is maybe possibly that could have been a factor but also who knows how involved he would be once you know production got that far in you know maybe mm-hmm. it was broken at the, at the at the start there i guess i'm just remarking on the temptation that is there to make it an easy auteur story i guess yeah yeah it's uh which would which would square with the like there's four different people with four different kind of focuses yeah. You know, Matsuno was focused on one, but he didn't have the firm hand on the reins yeah. the entire time. Or, you know, you know to, to to marry them together, you know, f- with with his priority on the framework, right? Yeah. Or even if, if they were ever meant to be married together. Like, yeah. what if somebody came along partway through and was like, hey, Sky Pirates are cool. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't I don't know. Uh, to, to me, it's okay because, like, I think that the character work in Final Fantasy IX is much better. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's a better character game. And I think that's mostly a better game. It just also takes a huge shit in the last disc. <laughs> uh, whereas the one thing is, I will say that Final Fantasy twelve, if it's going to incorporate, it's like space fleas out of nowhere. It does mm-hmm. a better job of that. Yeah. Like, I think the plotting is a little bit better while the character work is not particularly good. Right. Uh, I would agree with. So like, I am okay with one entry in the series integrating its gigantic space flea, but leaving mm-hmm. its characters on the side because I am sick of likable characters who all of a sudden have to unite against some anonymous garbage threat, an evil yeah. tree. I don't know. Some <laughs> bullshit. Uh, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty done with that trope. Mo. Yeah. 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 They have to fight Mo at the end. Cause why not? Uh, you know, I'm pretty sick of that and I'm glad that final Fantasy 12 avoids it. So uh, here I am doing the same thing I was talking about earlier though, where you have to be like this thing about it really sucks, but this other <laughs> thing is good. Like that's, it's the it's, series. You know, like, there's no unqualified wins, yeah, uh, in it. Like, it's not not possible mm-hmm. for it. Um, yeah, agreed. Uh, let's move on. We have one response, one lonely response to Wario Land Four. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Andrew writes in: Wario Land Four is good, but definitely my least favorite of the Wario Lands. Wario Land One, aka Mario Land Three, was one, was one of the first games I asked for after my dad gave me his OG Game Boy with Tetris and Jeopardy. It had deep explorative gameplay for its time with lots of secret treasures to find and a whole secret world. Then Wario Land 2 ratcheted that puzzle box platforming way up with tons of secret exits and alternate story routes to find. Wario Land 3 had fewer levels than 2, but each one got a night and uh, a night and day form uh, and you had to revisit them in satisfyingly quasi metroidvania kind of ways. So it was a disappointment to me as a kid uh, to finally get Wario Land 4 after all those commercials with Wario on the shopping mall intercom uh, and find a far shorter game uh, without many of the interesting secrets or variation. Want to knock off some of the health from an already easy boss? I mean, not really? That being said, the levels all have brilliant concepts and the sound room starts to inject the kind of weirdness that WarioWare would fully embrace. Uh, it's a beautiful little game, and if I uh, had first played it now as an adult who can buy games whenever they want instead of as a kid who had to make four uh, or so games a year uh, last as long as I could, I'd probably be a lot rosier on it. That makes total sense. Yeah. I think Sound Room was probably an autocorrect from Soundtrack. Yes. I was like, did we miss the Sound Room? Yeah. Like, is, <laughs> does, does Wario <laughs> have like a a kick-ass speaker? I don't know. Um or does he just sell kick-ass speakers? 
It seems like you'd be uh, on, on that hustle, on that grift. Yeah, yeah, yeah I could see that. Um, yeah, I, I could see that. The, all the things that are would be negative in the context of the series then are huge positives to me now. Yeah. Uh, I prefer something shorter and more focused. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that Andrew doesn't bring up because the, the biggest difference to me is that life bar thing yeah. and what that, you know, we talked about that in the episode, no need to go into it again, but like that bit about how many puzzles were just, you know, fuck you, you got stung by a bee, do it again, yeah. uh, in the early ones. Um, I really liked moving away from that personally. Same. So, yeah. Uh, thanks everybody for writing in. We appreciate you. Yeah. Um, uh, I, yeah. I think it's, I think it's time to, uh, uh, uh well, no, uh, if you have thoughts about, almost. uh, September's games, almost, almost, if you have thoughts about September's games, which are Bugsnacks, Metal Gear Solid 5 and Carrion, you can go to duckfeed.tv slash contact and write in by September the 15th. The deadline is always the 15th of any given month. Uh, if you have thoughts about multiple games, please, uh, separate them into multiple responses. And if you have thoughts about October's games, which are, yeah, uh, this is uh Cole's pick of a month he's got two picks in a row because of my two picks in the row the beginning of the mm-hmm. month uh devotion is cool's pick yep not played it only heard good things it's amazing uh taiwanese uh first person horror game uh it is uh one of the most upsetting things i've played in a long time actually uh mm. for a long time you were unable to get it because of uh the the chinese government Censorship. specifically yeah, yeah, that was uh, censored. You can get a hold of it now, uh, so uh, more people can and should play it. Yeah, great. Uh, de- yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I've heard really good things about it. Yeah. Um, uh, next thing we're doing. Uh, next thing we're doing is Strangeland. Uh, this is a throwback point-and-click adventure game. Uh, very surreal. Uh, kind of depiction of an afterlife kind of setting. Uh, this is published by Wadget Eye. Uh, but it is, I forget who it is who, who actually developed it. Uh, it's somebody who is an old hand, but uh, uh, incredibly cool scenarios, very uh, uh, just like uh, entrancing visual design. And the puzzles have a, a, like a like a good amount of rigor to them. Uh, there were some that genuinely felt like huge Eureka moments for me as I was uh, finishing those up. Yeah, Strangeland. Yeah, that uh, I, Will is a huge fan of the Wajidai. Mm-hmm. developers and a huge fan of rigor in adventure game yeah puzzles so i'm really excited to try this as well we it's yeah. all things i haven't played uh yeah. this month it's, <laughs> it's real exciting for me yeah. uh and then our premium episode for october is the evil within 2 yeah uh open world follow-up to the evil within uh the evil within uh a game that i don't care for very much but was um oh gosh resident evil 4 guy fuck what's his name uh <laughs> makami yeah, Shinji Mikami. Uh, yeah. He, he, he developed the first one. A new team picked up for the sequel. Uh, this is kind of an open world uh, uh, survival horror game, which is interesting. I think they handle it very well. Uh, and uh, there, again, are lots of cool, surreal scenarios, but without the instant death horse shit in The Evil Within 1. Yeah, uh, I all three games that I am uh, interested in but have not played. Yeah. This is a cheeky little Cole month because uh, while Cole picked Devotion... Cole picked all three. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's it's a it's a it's a little cheeky. Yeah, it's a little cheeky. Well, I, I I I put I put the, I put it's my list stinker. on the <laughs> I put my list on the spreadsheet, and I was like, we can talk about this. And he yeah. said, oh, these three work. I'm like, okay. Yeah, yeah and you put on your sailor suit and got your lolly. Yep, and uh, just <laughs> it was a little stinker. Uh, yeah, the, uh, no, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, also um, for uh, for Evil Within Two, you watch a uh, if you're 
give you evil within one a shot if you want to like if you have it around play it on casual because it's already hard enough uh i'm talking like you have two three bullets at a time at, at most mm. usually like it's it and instant death is kind of kind of shitty try the dlc if the main game doesn't work for you and always fall back to the cheat code which is uh like a youtube that is just a plot summary because yeah. very little of one has to do with two yeah i'm gonna give it a shot uh, mm-hmm. just because I've always, you know, it's been on my list forever and just, uh, yeah. got scared off it. Uh, but I have that weird thing where I want to play the first one before playing the second one. Yeah. So I'm at least going to give it a shot, but who knows? Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, October the 15th, if you, uh, want to write in about any of those. Yeah. Uh, we have, uh, so in terms of admin, uh, thanks everybody for listening. If you want to hear our premium episodes, which are that Wario land four episode we talked about. Carrion, Evil Within 2, and many others. Uh, you can do so become, by becoming a patron if you go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Give us $5 a month to get access to all those, as well as Unfilmable, our monthly horror movie uh, podcast, which is a hoot, mm-hmm. and a bunch of other bonus stuff. You yeah. can also leave us ratings reviews on Apple Podcast or Podcast uh, Addict or wherever mm-hmm. you find reviews. Um, if you are a non-straight, non-white, non-cis dude uh, who is making stuff and would like us to highlight your project, send me an email at gary at duckfeed.tv. Uh, thought I had one for this episode, but I have not. Uh, this is my fault. Uh, so mm-hmm. I probably will end up reading this one, but I have not done a fash screening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to check them out and make sure that they're, uh, we're not promoting somebody harmful. Uh, this is just me being paranoid. Uh, I do my best with those. Mm-hmm. If anything ever happens and we call somebody out and it turns out later that they're a shithead, uh, yeah. please give us the benefit of the doubt that's ignorance. Like, I'm going to try with those, but I don't, I can't make it a full time job yeah. to do background checks on people <laughs> uh, yeah. who, who send me an email. So I'm going to do my best. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is one I just, I don't have any doubt about this person. I just need to do the, my diligence and did not get a chance to this morning. Yeah. So uh, no highlight this episode, uh, but the tank is getting low. So if you have anything, uh, hit us up at gary at duckfeed.tv. Please do. Um, that's everything. I think, uh, we'll see you next week for, uh, for bug snacks, uh, which is, uh, going to be an interesting one. I think, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, fun plot to talk about. Yeah. So I think that's everything. Thanks everybody for listening. Yeah. We appreciate you. Take care. Mm-hmm.